Chicago. A criminal mastermind called Overlord held our city in his terrifying grip. Ordinary cops were losing the battle against Overlord's super freaks and mutants. Then, a miracle happened. When I found him, he had no memory of his past. I helped him find an identity and a life. Now we have a fighting chance. Now we have the dragon. This is the Savage Fincast, back again for another episode. My name is Jim. I'm Adam. And I'm Craig. And uh, this episode, we have a very special guest. Joe Keating is with us. Hello. Hey, Joe. Hey. Just to give you a little introduction, Joe. Joe's first professional uh, break-in comics-related work was doing color flats on the Freak Force backup in Savage Dragon 115. And uh, Joe was eventually hired by Eric Larson as administrative support for Image Comics, starting as an inventory controller and working his way up to public relations and uh, marketing coordinator. Um, During Joe's career at Image, he contributed to anthology titles such as The Next Issue Project and co-created the Eisner and Harvey award-winning anthology Pop Gun. In 2010, Joe left his marketing position to focus on becoming a full-time comic book creator. Fast forward to the present time, Joe was recently awarded writing duties for Rob Layfield's Glory comic as part of the new Extreme Comics relaunch at Image. Joe's first issue of Glory sold out at the distribution level before it even arrived on store shelves. Keating's second Image comic series, Hell Yeah, is his own creation and also sold out at the distribution level before its release date. Uh, Joe is also in the process with working with Frank Cho on another created uh, creator-owned book at Image titled Brutal. Uh, he's got a lot going on, and I want to thank him for uh, using his precious time to talk with us. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. I love talking Dragon, so I'm stoked to be here. Excellent. Yes, uh, that is something we also enjoy. <laughs> awesome. So uh, as we start off most of our podcasts on the Savage Fincast, let's talk about uh, Eric Larson-related news. The first little item is the Supreme number 65 solicitation um, for June 6th. Um, It's got a pretty badass cover um, with this kind of open line art uh, by Eric. And apparently there's going to be a Cory Walker variant cover, which... I'm sure everybody is very excited about. Uh, but Eric's cover is pretty cool, and it's got um, Supreme duking it out with Super Patriot. Um, as the uh, solicitation says, the original Supreme returns, and he's pissed. The ivory icon is out for revenge, and his old ally, Super Patriot, is caught in the crossfire. So sounds like a uh, match made in uh, World War II heaven. Yeah, I you know the only place I found that information of the Cory Walker uh, variant was I think Comic Book Resources. Everywhere else, it doesn't mention that. So oh, I'm really? hoping it's uh, true. It seems like yeah, it would be true because Super Patriots in there, but that would be sick. Yeah, hopefully that's on the up now. Right. The Savage Dragon Invasion trade paperback also solicited, it's supposed to be published on uh, June 27th. Uh, 
Savage Dragon, Overlord, and an alien invasion like no other. Death, destruction, and everything else that makes Savage Dragon the most compelling comic on the shelf is in full swing here. Comes with our highest possible recommendation. I guess that's Diamond talking. <laughs> Collect Savage Dragon 175 through 180. Which, uh, that's the story arc we're currently in the middle of, right? So, Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. It's, it's solicited so far, right? so quickly. He's really getting the new trades out pretty quickly here. There's yeah. no Savage Dragon issued, uh, Savage Dragon issues solicited in June, so that'll be the Savage Dragon slot, I assume. So it'll come yeah. out immediately after the the end of the arc. Yeah, he may just be skipping the solicitation because he's not sure uh, about when the schedule is going to get back on track. I mean, we know when the next issue is coming out finally, but as for as, as far as like. 181, 182, 183 goes. They may still come out. There may still be like an issue in June, but he may be skipping the solicitation just to knock it later. Right. Right. When is the next issue coming out? I haven't heard that. Same day as the, his first issue of Supreme, which is the first Wednesday in April. Um, April 4th? Yes, April 4th. Yeah. Cool. Uh, the next thing that... Uh, that we have up is the Spider-Man Revenge of the Sinister Six uh, premiere hardcover was listed in Marvel's June solicitations. So I think a lot of people are excited for that. A lot of people were probably introduced to Eric Larson through those stories and kind of uh, ran through the adjective list Spider-Man from the you know the early 90s that were started with McFarlane and then kind of passed on to, to Larson. And those will include issue 15 and 18 to 23, which it's got some amazing work and it's kind of got the prototype of uh, Super Patriot in there. Cyborg X. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Sort of. A, I mean, Super Patriot was sort of the prototype of Cyborg X and then it was changed. Right, right. But cool stuff. A lot of people are going to be really happy about that. That's, I think, uh, sort of Eric's, you know, torment in terms of like fans who still love um, his work on Spider-Man and yeah. and fans that got into his work on Spider-Man. And um, I mean, speaking for me, I, that was probably some of the first stuff that I saw of his before I went back and read his stuff in, the, in Amazing. Was that his first stuff at Marvel or maybe only stuff at Marvel that he actually wrote as well? Uh, at that time, I mean, he, he, he wrote Nova much later. Yeah, much later, like but Hulk and Thor. But as far as that time, because he started off, I can't remember his first stuff. But I, I first noticed him on Amazing Spider-Man, the Doctor Doom issues when Michelini, whatever, right. whatever would you pronounce the name, uh, yeah. when when he was writing it. But then, and then he jumped to that right after, right? So yeah, I, I don't think he had written anything before that. Unless I, I know he had you know those few Marvel comic presents stories with Spider-Man and Wolverine. I don't know if he wrote those, but yeah, he wrote those. He did. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. What about yeah, the Excalibur, that like Excalibur thing he did? Was that also written by him? I don't think so. I'm not sure though. Hmm. Remember, but yeah, he had fake fake dragon in that Marvel comics presents. <laughs> and that was Marvel comics presents. Number 50 had that wraparound cover with like Eric drew, like all the Marvel universe guys that, Right. That was so awesome. I remember a buddy of mine, I think we're in either junior high or high school, had that poster, and I just wanted to steal it. 
Yeah, do you see in the, the new previews, there's like a, um, there's a, a new shirt that's like a bastardized version of, um, I don't remember if it's the artwork from the cover for Marvel Presents 50, but it's one of those issues. It's 48, 49, or 50. And it's like they've, they've traced it or something, and it looks, it, it doesn't look good. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure Eric's not going to see any, you know, royalties or anything like that from that. But so know. it's like a, an official bootleg shirt. It's like an yeah, exactly. Weird. Next piece of news: uh, Mark Silvestri has uh, illustrated the program cover for the Emerald City Comic Con, which kind of features the heavy hitters of Image Comics. It's got Invincible, Savage Dragon, Shadowhawk, Spawn, and Witchblade. And Witchblade's uh -huh. ass. <laughs> so that looks pretty cool. If you want to see that, go check out Emerald City Comic Con's website. It's kind of always neat to see Sylvester draw Savage Dragon. Joe, yeah. you're going to be hitting up the Emerald City Con? I imagine you are. I am, yeah. I've got a, I've got a table... Um, Kind of close to Eric, actually, as far as I recall, with uh, me and Emmy Lennox, who does Emmy Town. Right on. Yeah, we're split. We're splitting the spot. I think. Uh, let me double check here. I think it's CO CO six is our table number. Let me double check. But yeah, with the moment I saw that thing, I wrote to, to Emerald City Comic Con. It was just like that is the coolest <laughs> promo yeah. thing ever. Yeah, table CO six C as in cat zero six. Nice. So. Sweet. And then, yeah, where's Larson at? I think he's pretty close by. Yeah, he's CO3, so. Cool, that'd be fun. If you want a bunch of cool stuff, it's pretty easy to get all in one location. Apparently the C section of the convention is awesome. <laughs> so. And then our, our last bit of news is uh, Spawn issue 220, which was kind of a surprise to, I think, a lot of us. It features a McFarlane cover homaging issue one of the Savage Dragon miniseries. And I think someone pointed out the way he drew uh, Spawn's cape kind of imitates the fin on Savage Dragon and everything. It's kind of neat looking. The the font, you know, of of the the title and yeah, know. even the thing that says intense action from Todd McFarlane, it's the same font from. It looks so kind of crappy because it's like so. <laughs> I I love it. I think it's beautiful. I think it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> They even went the extra mile to like I make the 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 trade dress and the image eye the two ninety nine like two whatever Canada being yeah. like right. look the way those image Malibu books looked. Right. Yeah, it's pretty I, sweet. I think with that issue, McFarlane returns to writing. Yeah, that's true. Well, he's been but on. He's it. he's been on it. Yeah. In secret, but yeah, whatever. Is that what it is? He's kind of like the ghost writing it, or is he like? Uh, he, he, he came out and said it, didn't he? Yeah, he's been writing it under a pseudonym. Oh, okay. Um, Will Carlton. So he's actually been writing it since he came back on the book on 185 uh, the entire time. And um, he's also doing, I guess, uh, for that same issue, there's going to be another variant cover doing like a spawn homage to Youngblood number one. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's if he's done that yet or if anybody... I don't know if you've seen that, Joe, but I'm very anxious to see that myself. To see which one, sir? That he's doing a Youngblood... Uh, I haven't seen anything except for what's online myself. Yeah, yeah. Did, has he given a reason why he was doing it under a pseudonym all this time? I have no idea. He, I, I assume it's, he doesn't want to hear any backlash and wants to kind of let people judge the writing for itself without his name. I think he's kind of messing with people. 
and just, you know, trying stuff out, see what happens. And uh, I did notice, like, you know, comments on boards saying something to the effect of, oh, the book is so much better now that Todd's not writing it anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 And so, like, sort of fished in a and That's so awesome. Yeah, it is. He's kind of a goofy guy, I think. And he, he likes to do weird stuff sometimes, so. Mm. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it is. Especially, like, I'd love to see the reaction of the person that's like, oh, you know, Todd McFarlane sucks as a writer. I'm not collecting anymore. Well, like, I love Will Carl. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's cool. That's pretty rad. Cool. So why don't we uh, get into the, the meat of this episode? Let's do it. Yeah. So, Joe, um, you want to just tell us a little bit about how you got into comics? And um, you can go as far you know, back as you want, you want, uh, sure. yeah. you mean like as a fan and stuff, you know, like as a reader? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like uh, there's pictures of me like two, three years old with comics around. Yeah. And, like no one in my family ever read comics or anything. So like, it's not exactly clear as to where it started. Um, my <laughs> they don't know who to blame. They don't know who to blame at all. My guess, although it's just a guess is that, uh, a lot of, uh, toys were packaged with comics back then. Yeah. Um, like, I'm pretty sure He-Man was, or Master yeah, of the Universe, definitely. and uh, Transformers, maybe. But yeah, Bruce uh, Tim had comics in He-Man, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, dude, I was two. I don't have no idea. So, yeah. like, <laughs> I was not barely conscious as a human being. But, uh, yeah, so, dude, I just, like, I just never stopped, you know? Like, I did, I, you know, at different parts of my life, I discovered girls, and I discovered rock music, but I never stopped reading comics, you know? It was always just there. Yeah. Um, something I really loved. Um, and then with Larson stuff, I was at a, was on a trip with my, my grandpa and my dad to Montana. And we were, we were staying at this one place, like this hotel that had a, um, had a, uh, like a magazine stand or whatever that sold comics. And like my grandpa would give me money every morning, go buy a couple comics. And one of them I bought was like a ghost writers classic. And another one was like, um, hot stuff and one was a justice league on uh, international and then one of them was a uh, amazing spider-man i think it's 248 or 249 where um it's the gray fox and dr doom story yeah. and that was the first time i saw eric stuff it was also the first time like as a reader until that point i was always just like people i mean comics are just generated somehow i don't know it's just like this ethereal thing Right. Yeah. But with that was the first time where I was like, oh, okay, this is a human being. His name is Eric Larson, and like, I want to read everything he does. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. The same yeah. way. Yeah. So from then I was just I like, just whatever he would draw, I would buy. Like you know. So I bought the rest of his Amazing Run, and then I got super hardcore into the Revenge of the Sinister Six. I thought that was just the most amazing thing I'd ever read in my life. Like, I was just like, <laughs> this is everything I want out of a comic. You know, it's got, like, Wolverine and Spider-Man and Sleepwalker, which I was really into at the time. And Oh, yeah, Sleepwalker. Dr. Octopus in a suit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When adamantium fucking freaking arms and stuff like that. And it was just, like, yeah. the coolest thing. I mean, to me, it still holds up as one of the best Spider-Man stories ever. Um, but, yeah, and it was just... And then... Savage Dragon, well, Image started coming out, and, you know, at that time, I didn't really distinguish between companies, you know, it was just, like, all comics were just out, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, Image started, and to me, it was just, like, all these dudes who I liked on these other books, or on, like, X-Force or whatever, were just doing other books now, you know? 
so I uh, I started reading those. I started reading Savage Dragon, and I liked it um, a lot. But um, it wasn't until the issue we're talking about later on the show, issue twenty one, where I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I just this is like my favorite comic, and remains to this day my my favorite ongoing series. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I was reading comics for a really long time. Um, wrote a few letters into Savage Dragon, um, and then. Um, professionally, I, uh, I really always wanted to work in comics and I always wanted to write comics, but it was just something I convinced myself at a certain age that would just never happen. So I was going to school and I guess the quick version is, there is a quick version. I was going to school and, uh, through studying become an English professor. And I just reached a point where I was just really depressed because I hated school and I was like, I am going to school so I can go to school the rest of my life, basically. Like what? Right, I, right. I just seemed like this really dumb plan. So, um, yeah, I, uh, my girlfriend at the time was like, you know, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to work in comics. And she's like, well, then, you know, you should do, you should work in comics. And I was like, yeah, but that doesn't happen. That's like a thing that's just like, it's such a rarefied thing. I just said, I'm not going to do it. I don't have the talent. I don't have the drive or whatever. So, um, she was like, well, look, I'm moving to San Francisco, to San Francisco with me. You know, you can make comics there and whatever um and i was like cool so uh, i was like no i didn't like my first reaction was no it's a horrible idea so then i talked to my dad who you know went to ivy league school and medical school and stuff and always you know reinforced that um you know hey you should go you should uh, go to school and blah, blah blah and so i was talking to him about it not so much like hey you know i want um you know advice it's like here's what's going on in my life you know and uh he um he said, no, you should, you should go to, to San Francisco. That's pretty and, cool. uh, I was like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know? Like, um, this is, a uh, this, no, why would I do that? So, um, he said, no, you look, dude, you're, you're in your, you're about to be in your early twenties. You should go there and you should, you know, try it out. And if it doesn't work out, then whatever, you know? Right. So, um, so I, uh, I did it. Yeah, I went to San Francisco and I was like, okay, well, I'll try to, I'll try to make comics. And I went to, I started going to, to community college at the same time, and I was going working at a video store. I just had no idea. I mean, how do you, how do you, you know, start doing comics? Um, and I found the answer later on, which I'll, I'll get to later. But um, so anyway, I was talking to my friend Mark Engler, who um, see, see that's just part of the story I always skip is, and it's not how you know, Mark. How I know Mark and how I know Eric, and that's because we were on. I wish Gavin was on the line now because we were all on this thing. I think it was actually predated even Gavin. Now that I think about it, but at the time there was a listserv called the Savage. Like I don't know if anyone remembers listservs on here. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I remember it too because that's when yeah. I first started getting back into Savage Dragon around yeah. like the seventies of Savage Dragon. Yeah, which is insane to think how long ago that was. But anyway, um. Yeah, so we're all on this listserv, and I got to meet, um, that was like, it was like me, Augie DeBleek, it was run by Jim Demonakos, who runs the Emerald City Comic Con now. Yeah, right. He um, still kind of runs the website. Kind of, kind of, yeah. Of yeah. Yeah. Um, Evan Long, jeez, uh, a whole bunch of guys. And this guy, Mark Engler, and we uh, we all kind of like, uh, you know, whatever, Mark and I hung out because we both live in the L.A. area. And uh, we was just like, I, I no one at my high school liked comics and all, so Mark was like my comics friend. 
And yeah. one year we were like, we should go down to San Diego Comic Con and see what it's all about. See a couple other guys, this guy Clint, uh, Ken, um, Aubrey, I always mispronounce his last name. He was going to be there too. So we're like, all right, let's go down and hang out with some Savage Dragon guys. And like the list server was like arranging a lunch with everybody at this ribs place Derek always liked. <laughs> so I, I, I emailed Eric out of the blue, and he had no idea who I was beyond like some dude from the listserv. And I was like, hey, man, you know, I'm going to San Diego Comic Con for the first time. I don't really know what to do there. Um, I don't know if you need a, someone to help with your booth, but I'd be happy to do it. And he was like, yeah, whatever. Because I don't know if, it, I mean, how many of you guys have talked to Eric directly, but yeah, just pretty much Eric's attitude was like, oh, I don't care, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so I went down, and for the whole 1998, gosh, which is so long ago, oh my God, um, yes. San Diego Comic Con. I uh, helped Eric Larson and Chris Leopolis with their booth when they were signing, and like I would run and get them sodas and like sell their stuff. And <laughs> so I got to know Eric through that. It was funny. Like the first time I ever talked to Eric though was this the lunch at their rib place, and like I was sitting next to him and I was eating ribs, and I was just like so intimidated at the time. And uh, <laughs> yeah, my, my I guess my face was covered in like barbecue sauce. <laughs> and he looks at me. Directly, he's like, dude, you are a mess. <laughs> <I'm just> like, <laughs> <laughs> my first thing I ever was face-to-face with Eric Larson. I was like, oh, God. Didn't he yeah. always have, like, a, a ton of, like, fans, like, whenever, like, he'd go out to, like, the Comic-Cons or whatever and go out and eat, like, ribs with him and stuff? Um, I don't know about, like, every show. I mean, I would kind of assume so just because that was my experience. Yeah. You know? Um. So, yeah, you know, uh, that was certainly, yeah, the way – I, um, you know, I mean, I get to hang out with him a few times at conventions, but after that one, I didn't really see him a lot. So that's, I think that's why I always skip that part of the story mm-hmm. until years later, because so Mark and I were in contact, this is back in now in 2004 when I was working at video stores in San Francisco and he, um, uh, Mark was talking, we we're just talking on the phone because we were just buddies and he had started working on that freak force backup in Savage Dragon 115. Right. And, he was just complaining because their color flatter had dropped out of the book, like out of nowhere. And I was like, well, what is, so they were looking for someone to do color flats. And I was like, well, what does a color flatter do? I've never even heard of this in my life. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, it's the guy who goes in and separates the colors and the colorist goes blah, 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 explains what color flatting is. And I'm like, well, this doesn't sound super hard. I could do that. And he goes, do you know Photoshop at all? I said, no. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I was like, whatever. I, I, I got a copy of Photoshop, and I figured it out. Within a week, I was color flatting um, Savage <laughs> Dragon. So, uh, and I, I read that you were getting paid like a dollar an hour or something to do it. Dude, I was getting paid, I think, like 10 bucks a page. And <laughs> I wasn't very – my computer was really slow, and I didn't know what I was doing, so it would take me forever. Um, like it's hours. not a fast process, no matter no. how you do it. I mean, I guess <laughs> – I guess most people use a Wacom these days. I don't know. But, like, I was using a mouse. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, oh, man, that would take so long. <laughs> it took, I'm talking, like, eight hours at least for a page. It was crazy. Ugh. And so, yeah, I'd get, like, less than a dollar a page usually. <laughs> but it was comics, you know, and I and it was funny because I remember, like, okay, I'll do it. But can I, well, I, was like, I wasn't, like, I don't want to sound like I was hesitant to do it. I was totally stoked to do it. But I was like, hey, is there any way I can get a credit? And he was like, yeah, you know, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll credit you, no big deal. It was like, awesome, it's my first comics credit. <laughs> so that came out, and then I started doing color flats for Bill Crabtree, who I think was the colorist on that, too. I don't, I don't have a copy in front of me. 
But I did so I, I did color flats on like Invincible, Masters of the Universe, uh, Rob mm-hmm. Zombie's show, um, Savage Dragon, God of War, which is yeah, really yeah. fun because like there, there was at one point where like they needed a text piece for the back. And I forget did I say I would do it or someone's like a joke and write it whatever. So I wrote a text piece in the back of like Savage Dragon God of War is the first time I ever wrote anything in a comic and it was just like. I know you're reading this for the color flooding, blah, blah, blah. Thank you very much. You know, I remember like, seeing that and going, holy yeah, crap, Joe has a thing in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that was my reaction. I was just like, what the, how did I sneak into this? <laughs> so that San Diego, I went down again, and um, it was funny. Oh, wait, sorry. I should back up some more. So Wizard World LA 2004. There's no short version of the story, by the way. I thought no that was totally not. <laughs> uh, but it's all Savage Dragon related, so I assume it's, it's fine. It's but, yeah, so Wizard World LA 2004, I went down and I was hanging out with Eric and Mark and um, and uh, like I said, I met some friends there and like Margaret Andrew Smith, who I later on did Pop Gun with and a bunch of other guys. But anyway, it was Larson was either like right, he just became publisher or right to become publisher. So it was kind of cool. But anyway, he and I were walking in and I had met Eric Stevens for the first time and we were at the image booth and... Uh, the guy behind the image booth, I think it was Brett Evans, who was their production manager, was mm-hmm. complaining. He was like, man, I don't want to be behind this booth all day. And Eric Larson turns to me. He's like, this guy will do it. <laughs> 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 because I did it at, um, um, you know, way back when. So that was fine. It was cool. We hung out. Great time. So then um, um, that was such a surreal thing because there was like one day we were sitting around the hotel lounge and like, Bruce Tim sat down. We started talking about like treasury editions for like three hours. I was just like, what? How did my life get like this? Like, what, what is going on? <laughs> but um, so that San Diego, uh, similar thing happened. I was talking, I was hanging out with Mark Englert, and we're hanging around Kirkman's booth. And this is like Invincible may have been on like issue 11, maybe, right. if that. Yeah. Uh, maybe like issue 9 or 10. And Walking Dead was where I forget exactly where that was at, but it was really like, it was really just started. And uh, Kirkman was just saying, thing. I don't want to run my booth, you know, whatever. Do <laughs> <laughs> you like, know Kirkman from the boards beforehand, from the Savage well, Dragon? Yeah, board? that was funny because, like, I knew him as the guy who was trying to push this wrestling comic. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. <laughs> In the ropes. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're the wrestling comic. Mean, I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. I love WWE. And um, I was like, oh, yeah, you're the guy with the wrestling comic. Like it was, and you know, Battle Pope had been coming out for a little bit, you know, but yeah, I just thought it was a wrestling comic guy. So yeah, he was just like, yeah, I don't want to run my booth, and I was like, whatever, I'll do it. Like I've done it a few times, and you know, Larson vouched for me, and he was like, okay, fine. And it was funny because like he entrusted me with all this money to like sell stuff or whatever, and I did. And you know, it was funny at the end of the show, he's like, I will fly you out to any show I go to because I guess he did pretty well, and I was like, oh, is that? I love your Kirkman voice. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good. I, I can't, I can't not quote him and and do it. And it was funny because like, you know, I was getting ahead of myself when I was working at the Image office. The first time he ever visited the office, the production guy thought I was in Stevenson office, and he was really confused because he heard the Kirkman voice, and he was really confused because I like walked in through the other door, and he was like, Wait, "What?" But anyway, I, I don't know. Robert takes some offense to it, which I don't really blame him because it's I don't know, exactly the most flattery thing. <laughs> um, I love that guy. But anyway, yeah. It's just like whenever anybody has to, when anybody quotes Todd, they have to do Todd's voice. You know what? I gave up because I can't do it. I've tried Todd's <laughs> voice. But, like, 
dude freaking uh, uh, Larson and Rob Liefeld freaking always do it. Yeah. yeah, kill on that. Um, and Valentino actually has a pretty good one too. But anyway, so yeah, so uh, that con. I don't think I really explained what my schedule was like when I was flatting because I would work at a video store from 5 p.m. to Hollywood Video, where's where I met Amy Lennox actually. There's Emmy Town. She and I met at a video store back in 2000, 2003, somewhere around there. And I was Hollywood Video in San Francisco, and I would I would go there, get there around five, and I'd work till about like 12:31. Then I would go home and I'd color flat till like 11 in the morning, and then I'd go to bed and then I would go back. Nice. And like you know, having such a social schedule like ruined my relationship with my girlfriend. We broke up. We didn't live we didn't live together anymore. Um, and I had lived in this really shitty apartment. Can I curse on here? Sorry. Um, a yeah. really crappy oh. apartment. Awesome. Really shitty apartment in uh, <laughs> the hate area of San of San Francisco. And like my roommates were crazy smokers. Whatever. Like it was just totally not a good scene. But anyway. So the point of reason I bring all that up is at San Diego, Larson comes up to the table. He's like, how's life going for you these days, man? I was like, well, you know, I explained everything I explained to you. My girlfriend and I just broke up. My apartment sucks. I'm barely making any money color flatting, blah, blah, blah. It's not that great. He goes, huh, that's interesting. So, so, so why don't you come work for me? And I'm just like, <laughs> what? Like, what are you talking about? He's the and publisher at this point, right? Yeah, he is. But Image was still in L.A. And he was saying, you know, look, you cannot say anything about this, but there's a possibility that Image will be moving to the Bay Area. Um, and if you know, if we went, I talked to Stevenson about it, who was either executive director at the time or was becoming an executive director. I, I don't remember the timeline there. Um, but, um, you know, he, he and I talked about you and, you know, we would love to have you uh, on board like doing this like he, he put it I was like we needed a warm body and i was like whatever i can i can do it yeah i mean it was funny because eric being eric like he made it seem like it wasn't a for sure thing and may have not been so mm-hmm. i spent months like agonizing like oh shit do i have a job at image comics or right. working at a video store the rest of my life uh, <laughs> and i was spoilers for that the video store is long gone so thank god i i got, got a job at image. <laughs> and so yeah in october i think eric stevenson gave me a phone call and we talked for a long time and got along really well and he was like yeah dude we, we want to bring you on board as a inventory controller, which I always say is like a glorified mailroom boy, but you know, I wasn't really doing. I was just like keeping track of stock and stuff and whatever, mailing stuff out. And so then, yeah, in t- November two thousand four, I, uh, I think it was November fifteenth two thousand four, I, uh, I helped move them in because like they were moving in from L.A. and you know I met Brett Evans. Uh, well, not met Brett Evans, but I, 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 uh, yeah, I talked with Brett Evans and Eric Stevenson and whatever, just hung out with those guys, and that began my. My long career at Image Comics, and uh, from there I kind of did a, a bunch of jobs. I, again, Inventory Controller was the first one that lasted a few months, and then I became a traffic manager, which basically meant I uh, I coordinated our scheduling, printing, and distribution. So I dealt with all print quotes and stuff like that, and the distributor. Um, and from there, it was a few years after that, I became PR marketing coordinator. And then for a brief time, I was a sales and licensing coordinator. And during this time, I would, I would kind of take on side projects. Like for editing stuff, like I started Pop Gun with Mark Andrew Smith and edited a book called uh, One Model Nation and a few other things. And I wrote a bunch of short stories, but I always thought it was wrong for me to write like a series because, especially when I was marketing, it would be messed up if I was like, hey, you know. Buy my book. Yeah, exactly. Matt right. Fraction, press release is not going out because, you know, whatever mine is. I was like, yeah, it's not great. Right. So anyway, I went to. Um, I went. I traveled overseas for the first time in 2010, 
and I went to Paris and, and Angoulême and really changed my life and the way I looked at stuff. And I came home from it just like, you know, I need to be creating comics. And, you know, I, I didn't, I was kind of in denial about leaving. And then at one point, Eric and Eric walked me to the office and we're like, hey, we can tell you need to be, you know, this is like, this is it. You know what I mean? Like, you kind of got as far as you can here, you know, like, um, you know, you need to be doing something, like, you need to be doing what you want to do, you know? And so I was like, all right. So I uh, left on good terms. And then I moved to uh, Portland, Oregon. And that's kind of where I started my, my, uh, my career as it is now, where I was just writing and I, I, uh, I do some freelance editing. Um, but yeah, mostly, uh, you know, write, write full time now. Right. And I remember reading something, was, I forget who you said, I think it was on your blog or something, someone told you, you know, you want to be a writer, you, you got to kind of go visit places, get out of the country yeah. and stuff. Well, that, that that's the thing I was like, I was kind of hitting at before when I was like, you know, didn't know how to how to get into comics. And the the, the, the big secret is, it's, it's, it's very obvious, and it sounds like I mean, it's sarcastic, but it's true, you, you need to make comics. You need to get yourself out there, like that's what yeah. it is. That's how you break in is you make comics. And it sounds really you know, like, well, duh, but it's true, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's how, um, um, you know, that's how it works. And just yeah. working behind the scenes at Image, you've probably gained so much experience, you know, from going from a person that didn't know what color flatting was to, you know, yeah. helping Image run their operations and seeing, you know, I'm sure you saw behind the scenes with Eric and cause wasn't Eric working right out of the studio, right out of the office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He and uh, Eric uh, Stevenson shared an office for a long time and eventually they moved to a bigger location and then he had his own studio and he would draw Savage Dragon there, which is really cool to see. And, you know, like I worked a bunch of different positions and the positions that didn't work, like say at counting or production or publishing, then yeah, I worked with some of the best people on the field, you know, and got to see how that, how that all worked and let them, you know, the, the mechanics of the actual comics industry are, which is why I get so freaking frustrated when I read all the stuff online where people are like, oh, comics are dying, the industry is horrible. It's like, right. you know, like, hey, stop, like, you're wrong. <laughs> um, you know, um, and yeah, you know, I got to see Walking Dead go from this, like, I started there at issue 14. It was the first time I ever credit as a staff member at Image was Walking Dead 14. <laughs> and, you know, I saw that go from Walking Dead 14 to this global phenomenon that it is now. You know, when I was in paris last i saw these ads on for walking dead all over the street like that's so crazy yeah yeah it's, you know? it's the wrestling comic book guys <laughs> yeah exactly now he's got a, a, a you know an ad on a wall in a paris metro you know it's like it's just insane you know in a good it's way like, yeah it's it's you know now everybody knows his work it's it is yeah. so insane i mean yeah and, and now he's a, an image partner it's like what right no, I'm I am extremely grateful for the opportunity that Larson and Stevenson and you know guys like Valentino and Kirkman really gave me by working there. You know, I learned so much from them, and you know, I you know I uh I mean I got into comics. There's a comic that made me think like I need to make comics on my own was um, Spawn Number Ten. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I read that and I was just like, the first time I didn't get it at all because it was a David Sim issue with Cerebus in it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, just, I, I didn't understand it at all. It was really crazy. But then I read it, reread it, reread it. And I was like, oh, wait, this is about creator ownership and making your own stuff. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to make comics. Yeah. And, um, you know, to have my career thus far so so defined by image is, is a really a huge honor and I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity that, that I've had. And, 
glad that you know it's 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 a big home for me like you know i i I will be doing stuff with other publishers and you know i i I don't have any you know there's sometimes a weird thing of creator owned versus work for hire or marvel and dc like i don't get that at all like comics is comics like i i I think marvel and dc do awesome stuff i think Mm -hmm. dark horse and idw are doing amazing things and you know um but yeah you know my home thus far has has been pretty pretty highly at image and it's it's a damn good crew of people and you know damn fine publisher you know yeah so so now you have glory and hell yeah did you have any pitches to image before i mean i know you kind of auditioned for the writer for you know glory you made a pitch to to eric and and rob but did you have any other like creator owned stuff that you pitched before that before hell yeah or anything that you know they were just like "Eh, we're not interested i know like kirkman had science dog that they tried out and at the time you know yeah. They kind of turned down on that. Um, well, I mean, Larson especially, and then later on Stevenson. Um, yeah, I became pretty close with those guys, and you know, I would talk pretty openly about what I want to do. You know, and that's, that's what Stevenson was saying. You know, you got to do what you want to do. Right. And um, you know, he was really like, I t- he he's known about Hell Yeah for years. I mean, it's a concept I've had since I was really young. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, yeah, I mean, he's heard all about the different iterations of it. And this whole, I had a drama with this one artist who just bailed on me and didn't work out. And, you know, and was when, and when I was starting to write full time was like, dude, I think it's time you do hell. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, I had the, the only one thing I can think of off the top of my head, and I'm sure there were others, um, that was rejected was I, I, I did, I did ask a Larson if I could do a super Patriot miniseries called death metal. But um, <laughs> it, uh, that never really came together, and it would be grabbing. I'm still down for it if he ever wants to do it. But mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm trying to think of anything that was, I don't know, because it was really more organic. I mean, I did have to pitch Hell Yeah technically, but I mean Stevenson knew about it, you know. Um, right. I'm trying to think of anything I pitched that you know I don't know because I mean everything was pretty organic, and like I said, you know, I, I don't really know. I mean, I. Um, We'll see. I mean, I have gotten rejections on pitches elsewhere for sure. That's for goddamn right. But, but, but you know, Stevenson was. I mean, has been so supportive, and um, he helped me. Like, for instance, when I was trying to like uh, formulate Hell Yeah, make it a better book, but it wasn't like necessarily rejected. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you mean or whatever. But um, no, nothing on top of my head. Uh, but yeah, with Glory, he approached me in November 2010 and was like, hey, I've got this idea to do this extreme thing. I think you'd be good for Glory. And actually, originally, he wanted me to pitch it with uh, Frank Cho. But um, he and I talked about it. And Frank didn't have the affinity that I did and still obviously do for the extreme line. Right. And he, he came up with a concept with me that was so far removed that we're just like, we should just do this as our own thing. That became brutal. But I still mm-hmm. really, I wanted to do Glory. I had ideas, and I really wanted, like, I know what I would do for Glory. So I pitched that. I gave them the short pitch, and uh, Stevenson liked it. And he's like, give me a longer pitch. So I wrote that up, and he liked it, and he has to Rob, and he really liked it. And so they, they hired me to, to do that. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of glad Frank Cho isn't on Glory in a way. I mean, mm-hmm. I think of, of him kind of more of a miniseries type of guy. I couldn't see him yeah. lasting long on an ongoing yeah, it'd be a really different kind of glory too with yeah. Frank Frank doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think when brutal, you know, I'm assuming it, it comes out at, at some point. Wow. Whenever that comes out, um, you know, I think people are going to be really surprised by it just because it's a very different side of Frank. Uh, yeah. 
and yeah, I want to make it very clear we're we're, we're co-creators and co-writers on that. You know, it, the story is is as much his as it is mine. Um, right. And it's a very different type of book that he's. It's not like a you know cheesecakey book, which I mean I think people kind of don't necessarily give his work the respect it deserves. I mean I think that's what they associate with it, but right. Uh, you know he's a he's a damn good writer too, um, and it's more than just hey these girls are pretty, you know. So yeah, I mean anybody who's ever actually read Liberty Meadows and not just looked at the covers knows that he's a pretty amazing cartoonist. Yeah, like, no, yeah. he's he's yeah he's really. I mean I I learned a ton from him just um, in um, talking about you know the book and co-writing and everything. So. It's really what's, smart. what's the status on the book? I mean, do you expect it to come out this year? Or well, the status on the book is that he kind of had more obligations to Marvel than anticipated, right? And, and you know, um, you know, frankly, it's it's kind of it's kind of stuck. So it, it'll happen. We both really want to do it, but at this point in time, it's kind of in limbo. Right. Cool. So right now, the focus for me is. Uh, the the public stuff is glory and hell yeah, and then I've got um I've got a I've got a few other things that are not announced that I'm that I'm working on, and then I, I write for I do I do a lot of side stuff too. I write for a magazine overseas and called Comic Box, and um you know I, I do a bunch of editing stuff too. So, but mm-hmm. mostly all comics. That's pretty sweet. So can we talk a little bit about Glory? Yeah, let's do it. What do you want to know? The new issue uh, was out, came out last week, I believe, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. As freaking awesome. But, Thanks, um, man. I loved it. Um, I did the first issue, I think, and that was saying a lot because the first issue was pretty Thanks. damn cool as well. Um, yeah, I uh, I kind of feel that I I'm I'm still learning how to really pull off a first issue. Um, and uh, you know, I I also with with Glory, I felt like I had to like make it a like it was really important to me to make it a book that like if you've never read glory or you've never read comics you know everything you need to know yeah uh, and there's a lot of setup you have to do yeah and you know I'm, I'm i'm still relatively new at this so you know i'm sure it would be stronger if i edged it a few years from now but um yeah i'm happy with it. i'm really i'm really proud of the book and i'm extremely proud of ross campbell and Mishatia Hamilton, who's the colorist, and uh, you know, even our letterer Douglas E. Sherwood, who, who's my like kind of go-to letterer for all my stuff. Um, you know, the damn fine team, and you know, whatever on the writing, the the book, the, it's a good-looking book. Um, how did you How did you hook up with Ross? Well, that was uh, after I was on board. Stevenson was asking me who I thought would be good for profit, and I was like, dude, the best sci-fi book right now is King City. Yes, like that, yep. that you you need to hire Brandon Graham. Yep. Throw money at him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a crew of us who kind of came up in comics together, and it's like me and Brandon, Marion Churchland, Marley Zarconi, uh, James Stokoe, Corey Lewis. Um, so, and you know, Andre Zamanowitz, who eventually, you know, drawn Hell Yeah, and yeah. Gabriel Batista, a bunch of us. And um, so, you know, I, I had also wanted to see Brandon kind of do, I thought it'd be interesting to see him do something he didn't draw, you know, but um and he was also like just in general kind of like my my buddy i talk about my work with so i was like freaking yeah i want him on part of this i think it'd be sweet plus you know all that aside if he wasn't i mean i i really truly feel king city really is one of the like the best sci-fi books in the last decade yeah it's amazing i completely agree with that statement i'm glad no i'm I'm glad you do because if you didn't that would be a problem (laughs) 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 yeah so um 
so Brandon, I guess, pitched profit. Oh, no, it was at Emerald City Comic Con. Stevenson, um, uh, 2010 or 11? Yeah, 2011. Um, we sat down at this bar that has a bunch of pinball machines. That's all I remember about it. And we talked to Brandon about it, and Brandon gave it, like, right then and there what his pitch would be. And Stevenson was like, that's awesome, and whatever. So that brought Brandon on board the book. And, uh, you know, so this, since he was like, because I couldn't talk about it publicly yet. So he was like my guy other than Stevenson and, and Liefeld who I could talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I was having, we we're having a hard time getting a really like correct artist for glory. And, you know, the thing is Rob, Rob has gotten also, Liefeld has gotten so many offers to do the extreme books over the yeah. years. And he really wants really do it right. So he was really, this is why I was extremely flattered. He accepted my, um, my pitch. And, right. um, so anyway, so I was having trouble finding somebody, and I was talking to Brandon, and I was like, dude, I need I need artists for this. What do you think? And he goes, you know what you should talk to? Because I told him like what I wanted to see out of the book. I wanted Glory to look like a warrior. I didn't want her to look like a supermodel, and I had all this other stuff. And um, he was like, you should talk to Ross Campbell. And I was like, well, you think he's available? I said, just talk to him. I talked to Ross, and he was, he was, you know, he was into it. We talked about it for a bunch, and it was just really in sync and really clicked really well. And, uh, yeah, it was, you know, we were um, – he, he drew up some art, and again, same thing as a pitch. Eric liked it, so he sent it to Rob. Rob loved it, and then Ross was on board. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Do you do kind of like what Kirkman does in some of the things where you kind of draw your designs and kind of give it to the artist and let the artist kind of look at what you're thinking of? Or um, Sometimes, sure. Yeah. If I've got like a really distinct thing, but for the most part, like, um, I, I think, you know, uh, Kirkman. Is more artistic. I mean, I'm artistically inclined, but my stuff, I, the artist side of me and the writer side of me are two different people. Mm-hmm. When I draw stuff, it's always like old newspaper comics. Like, mm-hmm. and when I write stuff, I always want to be really forward thinking. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. So, my, my stuff, I don't think like a superhero artist does when it comes to design work. Um, but uh, I did, I mean, I, when it came to Glory, I just said, you know, I, I want her to look like a soldier and a warrior, and I didn't want her to look like a superhero even. I wanted her to be some kind of different. And Ross completely designed her. Um, and then on the Hell Yeah, for instance, not to jump ahead, but I, I, I want to focus on Glory for now. But, um, you know, I just told Andre I had I wanted him to look at fashion magazines instead of superhero costumes, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. When designing the characters. So a little bit, yeah. But, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily go as far as Robert does sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I you know, I think Ross knocked it out of the park with Glory. I mean, it's like something we've never seen before in comics. I mean, we've seen She-Hulk and Big Barda and stuff like that, but I just think it's so neat. Like, you, just, you know, the way he draws her with, like, the healed-over scars, and she's she's not grotesque, mm-hmm. but she's, she's she's got, like, a beauty to her in the face. And, like, like I'm looking specifically at the inside cover of uh, 24, where she just looks like a... You yeah, know, no, that's one of my favorite her. images, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. it looks awesome because she's got, like, you know, she's... She's pretty, but still like freaking ripped, and you know, and especially like in the scenes where you see her kind of uh, standing next to Riley, and she's like a hundred feet taller, and just like this <laughs> behemoth. It's just it's really cool, and it's like no other kind of heroine or superhero that I've seen in comics, you know? Right. Yeah. No, that was exactly what we're going for. I mean, like I have. Um you know, very, uh, how should I put it, very passionate views in terms of how women are betrayed in comics and having a sort of displeasure with how women are traditionally 
portraying uh, portraying comics. Yes. Um, and uh, Ross and I are very much in line with that. So that the and you know my my. Yeah. People think I'm kidding when I say this, but I'm like, you know, I don't have any kids right now, and I hope to someday. I hope to have a daughter, and I hope to, um, as well as a son. But I hope to have a daughter, and you know, I want these comics are written for her when she turns 14, like yeah. my my non-existent daughter. Like that's my 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 target audience for for glory. Um, yeah. Do you, do you find it hard to kind of write in the female voice, or I mean, is obviously you're not a female or whatever. I I, I don't know. Is there any kind of you kind of talk to your female friends or your mom or something to get ideas and certain things or is it just kind of flow normal like you know i mean how do i put it like i, I don't want to sound like a jerk but you know they're, they're human beings you know what i mean <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know yeah. like um you know whatever i mean it's a whole other rant i can get on and if you want to hear it we can but it'd be going on for a while but you know mm-hmm. i mean yeah, when it comes to writing in general, I don't think like it's not like okay, I gotta get into woman mode now. You know what I mean? Like no, I know, but I, yeah. I just I when guess comes, I'm... when it comes to writing, it's all like you know what your experiences are, and you know, yeah. have, and some sort of stuff is like having sort of a natural instinct for dialogue, and you know, I it's not really for me to say if I'm, my dialogue is good or not. I you know, but if people like right. it, I assume that I have something, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you know, again, that's that's for them to judge, not not, not for me, but. It's not. I don't know, man. It's it's like I, I feel like I don't think of it as like it's woman time. It's more like I want to write Riley or I write Glory, and they have their de- de- definite personalities. Cool. And um, you know, I mean, if I had to really break a town, maybe it would be different. But uh, you know, I I have a really strong female presence in my life. I've had um, an amazing family of amazing women who raised me, and uh, you know, from my mom and my stepmom and my grandmother and an older sister and all these people who are just really awesome and just kick a lot of ass, you know, like the, 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 the one part of the rant I will get into is I get really offended by the term strong women as a compliment for character development mm-hmm. because yeah. I think women are strong. Like I don't know women in my life who are, or who are weak. I don't think of it like that way. I mean, there, there are weak human beings. No, know? but I but, think in terms of comics that there's not a lot of women characters that are written as leads. I mean, sure. Well, that's always I mean, that's, to me, that's fucked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, um, like, like it, that may be the case, but I, I'm not happy about it. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Did you see? Um, you know, uh, uh, Brandon Graham posted the the bit of that uh, Newsarama interview with you guys that Newsarama cut mm-hmm. uh, on his blog, and then um, do you know uh, Celine Loop? Uh, she's an yeah. illustrator and a painter. She just commented on on it and. I, I just loved what she said, and I, I just thought I'd read you part of her comment. Sure, please um, do. Yeah. She said, I love that making female characters whose primary purpose isn't to give male readers boners and giving them the same dynamism that is afforded to male characters is some big political statement. Who boy. It shouldn't be. It really, really shouldn't be. And the fact is, or that artists and writers think it is, it kind of proves the point the comics need to air out that locker room smell. Yeah. Well, I don't know if she was if she was trying to sound like I mean it sounded like she was kind of offended by what we were saying. I mean that's exactly how I feel about it. No, exactly. Yeah. You that's... know, like I really just piss me off when people are like, oh wow, you know, like I, I I get really up in arms about it. I don't know how much you want to get into it, but um, you know, I I it really is messed up to me. Like it, it's a serious problem. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, all I can do is, is just make the comics. Uh, well, the best advice I ever got about writing comics was actually from, from Matt Fraction. He said, write the comics you want to read. Yeah. And Glory is a comic I want to read. And with Glory in specific, you know, it's a comic I want my daughter to read. And um, and my son, too. But, you know, I am writing it for this now fictional daughter thing, which is, I guess is kind of weird to keep talking about. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I just, it is messed up. It shouldn't be. Like, I don't I, I don't know. It, I, I have nothing else to say. I completely agree with her 110 billion percent. It's not some political statement for me as much as it's just like, right. It's how I want to see comics and that's it. Done. The end. You know, I, I remember when I first read, uh, glory 23, I thought, um, I mean, number one, I really like it, but number two, one of the reasons that I hope this book does well is not just because, you know, it's a book with a female main character who is not a sex pot, but it's a book with four at, at, so far for, uh, you know, very realistic female characters that are, it's not just like paying lip service. Like there, I feel like I've read a lot of books that it's like just one, you know, just the lead is maybe a woman and it's, she doesn't act like a woman at all. And she's got huge tits or whatever. And it's just kind of like, Oh, we're doing this so we can say we have a book with a female lead, but you've got Glory, you've got Glory's mom, you've got Riley, you've got Gloria, and they're all totally believable human beings, and you're putting them in this world that has these kinds of crazy, you know, uh, crazy superhero world that has all the trappings that we've come to expect from, you know, the kinds of superhero comics we love, and you. so I read this and I go, this shouldn't be weird that there's a comic like this should just be normal and uh so i love you for doing it uh i wish there were more there's more titles like this and i'm i'm hoping there will be yeah no thank you very much um i really i really appreciate that uh at the same time i'm just writing a story you know what i mean like i'm not going to be like okay what's my message this issue you know what i mean right the only thing that's really conscious and, and and sort of related to that is uh i don't know how much of this i should be saying but hey whatever um I, my goal with Riley is to make her probably one of the biggest badasses in comics by the end of my run. Um, so I want to take her from this, you know, this 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 young woman who doesn't know where she is in the world, and uh, you know, against every stereotype in comics, and then eventually just turn her into this super badass. So, nice. Yeah. So spoilers. <laughs> spoilers. Sounds there. sounds good to me. You heard it here first. Yeah. Okay. So now. Uh, Mr. Gavin Higginbotham, uh, who was absent beginning of the episode, has just joined us. So we're just going to uh, keep on trucking. And uh, welcome back, Gavin. Glad to have you. Glad to be here. Thank you. So, Joe, I was going to ask you about uh-huh. um, Glory 23. Sure. When when uh, Riley first arrives in France, she meets uh, an older man. Is that is that your nod to Mobius there? You know what's funny? Okay, so uh, I'm a huge. I mean, it's on Republic. I'm a huge Mobius fan. Like he's my he's my number one inspiration. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was completely devastated when he passed. Um, you know, lucky enough to meet him a few times. Um, it wasn't consciously, but I'm thinking it was. Like, because um, I talked over to design with like how he should look with with Ross, and Ross did his design from there. Um, it's actually, uh, the name is a friend of mine, um, probably one of my closest friends, um, 
And I talked about Amy Lennox earlier, and she's definitely my my little sister. But I think the closest equivalent I have to an older brother is this guy, Fabrice Sapolsky, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, used to run Comic Box magazine. Um, and now we're he's just one of my closest friends. And I'll probably work with him pretty soon. But anyway, so I named him after Fabrice, but personality and everything was very different. And yeah, it was after he Mobius passed, I, I had just coincidentally I had reread glory and i was like oh my god am i doing mobius here you know <laughs> so great observation you're the first person to point that out and uh yeah no i think you're i think you're totally right i think the thing that kind of tipped it off to me is i mean i i kind of frequently frequent your blog and read about it and and i think one of the things that you were describing it was either in your blog or in an article you wrote you're kind of meeting him and you're trying to speak French to him, and he's like, you know, I can speak English if you prefer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, when yeah, I that's read exactly, that, that's exactly that's exactly what made me think, oh shit, I'm writing Mobius because yeah, like, <laughs> when I read that panel, yeah. and then I looked, and I'm like, you know, even was drawn. Look, I mean, it's yeah. amazing that you know Ross drew him looking like Mobius. Well, I said I, I gave him a rough description of like, hey, this is what this guy looks like, and go mm-hmm. from there. And yeah, no, I, 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 it was not conscious at the time, but I, I, looking back, I definitely think my subconscious was working that in there. Cool, cool. Um, I, uh, you, you changed yeah. colorists on Glory, right? Kind of, yeah. I had a buddy named Ryan Hill do the. Um, we were just on a super, super tight deadline for, for the, the preview uh, for the previews, and so okay. he, he, he pitched in. Um, on those, but he's, he's just, he works a lot for Dark Horse Comics, so he wasn't able to, to go on from there. But um, uh, that's where he brought in Mishatia Hamilton. So, yeah, it's funny. I read some stuff online, like, what's the drama there? Like, nothing. Like, <laughs> we were, we, we had, this had to be done, and Ryan helped us out, and Mishatia took it from there. It's, that's it's kind of the internet, like, every single time anything happens, there has to be a huge drama. Yeah, it's it. funny. Yeah. Like, I used to kind of not be involved in that, but see it as a, when I was a fan, and as the more I work, I work behind the scenes, I'm like, all this stuff people think is huge drama. Oh, this guy is fighting with this guy. It's like, no. It's like, <laughs> no. no, it's it's not a comic. It's real life. People don't really – it's not that dramatic. Yeah. It's usually much more boring than people think. I so. know um, I talked to a few people who were really imp- – they were really impressed by the, the bright colors of the preview art. And when the new yeah. colorist came out, they were a little disappointed that the colors seemed more muted. Yeah. Well, I will say like – Ryan did an incredible job, and I think he, he really kicked ass with those pages. But Miss Shatia is that's how I wanted the book to look, you know, yeah. like she, she she nailed it. Um, you know, I am, it puts I am the sorry, focus on, on the characters, yeah. I think. I think Ryan's stuff was great for those preview pages where she's punching tanks and stuff, but I think like as the book goes on, especially, especially if you've read number 24, I don't think the colors would be as appropriate, you know, yeah. Um, I mean, especially when you guys see 25, which is the 500 years later issue, mm-hmm. um, the bright colors wouldn't necessarily really work, and I think it'd be kind of weird in the long term. There's an expression I hear sometimes, and it's like, you know, they're trying to de- use every color in the rainbow, right. uh, and, and that's what uh, the preview pages looked like when I was looking at them side by side, and um, I really, really, uh, I really like... Um, What's, what, what did you say? Mishatia. Mishatia, okay. You know, it's kind of like, like you know, I, I had no idea how to pronounce her name. I've not met her in person yet. I've never talked to her on a phone. It's all been over email, so I have no idea if that's actually how you pronounce her name. <laughs> like, be totally wrong. But I really like, you know, what she's doing because it's, it's she's using actual palettes. And, and 
you know, keeping warm colors with warm colors and cold colors with cold colors, which is like a huge part of color theory that sort of goes against like uh, super, you know, superhero, like primary colors. Everything is very loud, but uh, is usually kind of more appropriate. And when you see a lot of artists color their own stuff, uh, it's more along these lines, like early issues of Wolfman that Jason Howard was coloring himself looks more like this, like he's using palettes. And, and uh, mm. I've been telling my friend David Seltzer, who's uh, the colorist on Vanguard, to uh, read. I've been bugging him to read Glory because he's going to love the hell out of colors. Oh, sweet. Awesome. Yeah. It's very much in his wheelhouse. Sweet. That kind of thing. So we're going to learn how that, that sword works that Glory has. I've only seen, I think, on a <laughs> cover or the inside cover, it's like segmented and it looks really neat. You'll see it in action, yeah. Um, the the first three issues are kind of, you know, the first issue is all about her past, and the second issue is all about her present, and the third issue is all about her future. I really want to make it like, here's everything you need to know about this character, three issues, done. So the the next three issues, it's a story that storyline called Destroyer, um, and that's it's you'll see everything in action through Destroyer, for sure. I mean, it, it lives up to its name. It's very brutally violent. <laughs> nice. So do we want to move on and talk about Hell Yeah for a little bit? Sure. Whatever. Hell Yeah. <laughs> hey. Doo-doo-ch. <laughs> I just have to say I really, really like um, the all-new, all-difference as a band name. Yeah, thank you. That was, that was one of the earliest ideas for the book. And I was just like, you know, yeah, I, I just like that name a lot. But anyway, sorry. And this first issue... Um, is this 32 pages, the whole? It is 32 pages, yeah. Nice. You know what I really like? The inside front cover, where it says previously, it's completely empty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the cool thing about that is that it's actually in continuity. So that, that, that comes back later on. Interesting. Huh. Cool. Yeah, and how that comes back, you know, you have to read it to, to check it out. But, yeah. there are unknown things about Ben Day and his parents and things. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, the, the, this move, move, this book moves. It's a very different book from Glory. Um, the first issue, again, I was saying earlier, you know, I have self-admittingly, you know, still trying to get a handle on on launching the first issue. I think I'm better with like the middle and end stuff than I am at the beginning stuff, personally, as a writer. When I look at my faults, but um, you know, uh, yeah, it, it's there, there, there's a whole lot going on, a whole lot that's not obvious yet. Um, and it's funny, some things people are like, wow, what's this mystery here? And I'm like, what? You know, like, what are you, what are you talking <laughs> That's a mystery? Oh, God. You know, like, I got to be out for this. You know, like, the stuff with the mom, um, we were like, oh, why isn't she shown? And, like, I just want to keep the focus <laughs> on her head. You know? Right, right. Some people are like, what's this big mystery with the mom? And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> you know? But, um, I mean, there is stuff, obviously, with the parents as a, as a team, but, you know, uh, so to speak. But, um as a unit, I should say. But, uh, you know, the mom wasn't shown because I wanted to focus on the dad. You know what I mean? Like, that was right. about it. Sometimes it's just a simple explanation. Yeah, that's it a lot of the times. And I've, I've seen some crazy stuff. But, yeah, you know, it's a... Uh, yeah, when you don't show something, it's always like, we all thought uh, yeah. Glumworld Angel's face was going to be mangled. Yeah, I called him on that. I was <laughs> like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know. Like, whatever. Just, like, just what I'm doing. I'm <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, there is stuff going on with the mom. There's stuff going on with the parents, which I think is pretty obvious by that one page. But, right. uh, you know, yeah, that, and it, it's, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much I, I should say at this point. But, yeah, <laughs> a lot going on. So. <laughs> I like the the nod to Jack Kirby with the Kurtzberg University. You know, I thought that would be more hidden than it was because, like, <laughs> you know, I was just like, whatever. I like the name; it fit really well. But yeah. like, I know it's like public knowledge, obviously. But I didn't think like I wasn't trying to like, hey, look at this, look at this nod to Jack Kirby here. You know, like wasn't mm-hmm. as. It wasn't as intentionally overt as it as it certainly came out, which I guess is you know again a, a sort of a fault as a writer. But oh well, yeah, it's it's named after Jack Kirby. Yeah, various little nods and things throughout that I liked. I mean, the character's name is Ben Day. Yeah, that one's definitely more overt. Yeah, for sure. Um, like that and, one's more conscious. Yeah. And uh, I like the all the kind of uh, Oregon landmarks and things that. Um, like the Maiden Oregon Old Town sign, the Powells, um, the sign on the Crystal Ballroom with Mike Allred's band, the gear. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Like little things like that that are just yeah. kind of little uh, fun nods. Yeah. And I mean, I I wonder how many people are gonna, um, you know, it it's kind of a rewarding kind of thing because you you read it and you're like, oh, there's, you know, there's Wassie. Uh, right. on this one page but I think a lot of people will just be like oh that's just some talk show host yeah I guess you yeah. recognized him yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. My, my intention was to keep that a little bit more disguised than it was you know, I was like I should take out the first name Jonathan but I was like oh whatever um, yeah. but yeah it, it's funny like uh, it came from a couple of things one was reading comics that like take place like I lived in San Francisco for years and anytime I leave in San Francisco, like, I, I read a comic set in San Francisco, I was like, there's nothing like this. So what is this, you know? Right. So, and, but there are little things, too, like, um, you know, the Portland, Oregon, the, the Made in Oregon sign now says Portland, Oregon. But I love the Made in Oregon sign. And when I first lived out here, it said Made in Oregon. That's what I identify with. Yeah, there was all that controversy over. Yeah. yeah. So th- th- this is me stating what I want the sign to say. Like, it's my comic book, whatever. It can say Made in Oregon. Yeah, exactly. You know? And uh, I haven't had anyone point that out yet, but, you know, my, my office faces that sign, so I see it every day. And, like, cool. you know, like, I know it says Portland, Oregon, but in my in my alternate dimension, it still says Made in Oregon. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, I mean, Mary's is down the street, and Powell's is awesome, and I play tambourine with the gear when they, uh... <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so, you know, you know, it's all, it's all, it's all very personal. My, uh, my favorite nod in this book, and I'm pretty sure this is intentional on your part, was right after, uh, Ben's father kind of first comes in contact, contact with the heroes, you get that panel that's kind of like imitating the hand of God touching Adam from the Sistine mm-hmm. Chapel. And it's oh, like, yeah. you know, the, the gods kind of touching the human, you know? And I thought that kind of summed up this first book, kind of, this first yeah. issue really well. Thank you. Yeah, that, that was totally that was totally intentional. Um, I didn't know, like, you know, I, when I put the direction in the script, I didn't think Andre was going to be, like, so overt with it. I was like, yeah, make it look, look like this. And he was like, all right, made it look exactly like that. So I was like, okay, well, it worked, but it worked really well, I thought. Yeah, Especially definitely. With, uh, the gray tones that Jason used. Definitely. So I, I think I've read, maybe you want to clear this up, maybe you don't, I don't know. I think I've read a, a review mm-hmm. where somebody was like, oh, you know, the, and I'm guessing it was just their guess or whatever, that mm-hmm. the girl at, on the last page that seems to come from an alternate reality yeah. is Ben's girlfriend that, um, I guess, what what's Ben's girlfriend's name? Sarah or something? Well, 
Sarah that is his girlfriend. It's funny, like Sarah. Is, I've seen all stuff like, oh, they're gonna hook up. You know, their relationship is super platonic. Mm. Like, you know, and I think that's interesting. People picked up on it as a romantic relationship. Um, uh, it's not Sarah. Um, yeah, I mean, because they have totally different eye colors for one. So yeah, and the hair. Well, I guess you don't really see the hair too much. I, don't, I haven't have it right in front of me, but um. Yeah, uh, no, that Sarah and Ben have a completely platonic relationship. That, however, that um, that girl on the last page is Ben's girlfriend from another dimension. Oh, all right. So it's not our Ben; it's an other reality's Ben's girlfriend. Gotcha. And you'll find out her whole her issue two is all about her backstory. Nice. So, when, is, when does issue two come out? The first week of April. Nice. That's gonna be a big week. It is a big week. Supreme Savage Dragons. Hell yeah. <laughs> A bunch yeah. of, it, it's a bunch of cool saving stuff. My <laughs> and then yeah, Glory Twenty Five is a couple of weeks later, I think. So yeah, and Profit is this week, right? Dude, I don't even know. I'm still up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, new, many new, good new comics coming week. out. Yeah. Cool. So, I think I read somewhere. Well, I did read somewhere that you said Jughead of Shakes is partially based on you <laughs> oh yeah we, uh larson and i used to go to this place called oscars this burger place in uh in berkeley and uh i don't remember how it came up anymore i know we were there and we were ordering shakes and like i think i just have a really dumb sense of humor that aligns with eric's pretty well i guess <laughs> and um i was just thinking how funny it would be to have like a character who is just jughead but with something else and then <laughs> It came Jughead of Shakes, and yeah, he said that, that from that, Jughead of Shakes was based off of me, so was, you know, the, the final looks a little different, but it's, it's pretty close to how I was looking at the time. I gotta apologize, because I stole Jughead's face as my avatar for the... That, it's fine, so. it is surreal, because I do, I do chime in on the board sometimes, like, why does he have my face as his avatar, <laughs> but you know, whatever. It's yeah, I, I had no idea that... I'm going to go promptly change it now. No, no, no. Think, keep it. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> I always think that people's avatars, I know this is really retarded, but I always think that people's avatars are actually how they look. So <laughs> I, think, I think you look like Jughead of Shakes. Even though I've seen, I think I've seen a picture of you on your Twitter. I, I still think you look like that guy. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Joe, what's, what's your favorite character design of Savage Dragon? Flash Mercury. <laughs> yeah. so even before he finished asking the question yeah he, well, um, actually mercury that, he's yeah. so off the wall like so different than any other design it's so yeah. weird i'm actually disappointed yeah. that flash mercury hasn't made more of an appearance since dragon war i kind of thought he was gonna be well, like malcolm's best friend or something I, I i can tell you that a lot of the stuff when Flash Mercury was appearing in the book correlates with me being in the image office and being like, dude, you, know, you should get this guy here. <laughs> this is the coolest guy ever. So you just you just uh, chime in on Eric and chirp in his ear. Come on, I, 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 yeah, I think like from 2004 till then was me constantly like, dude, you got to work seven. And like, I remember being like, he first appeared as a villain. I was like, what are you doing? He's a good guy. You know, he's totally cool. It's like I had like my version of him in my head. You know, <laughs> so like, but no, yeah, Flash Mercury is my my favorite Savage Dragon character. Nice. I love that uh, double page spread with all the comic strips in, I, th I think it's 125. Mm -hmm. and he's like going to bring food to the creator or something, and he discovers yeah. that his body is dead. The whole time that he's been like waffling on whether he should continue working for the creator, and yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, he's dead. 
Hooray. You know, that, that actually gets back to an earlier question of yours. That, that I forgot about this, actually. I, I had an idea for a Flash Mercury serial that we were going to do, um, and it was with the same artist of Hell Yeah, who, again, it just didn't work out with them, um, called Flash Mercury versus Everything. And, uh, yeah, actually, I think about it. And then I had all these ideas for, like, one-off strips where, like, I just wanted to call like, Flash Mercury, like, checking in with Flash Mercury, and it would be, like, him just doing stuff, like, him playing pinball and then, like, tilting at the end, like, oh, damn it, you know? Or him <laughs> doing laundry or him washing dishes or whatever. I'd still be gushing <laughs> up, Eric, about it. I totally have not have thought about that for years. But anyway, yeah, that was, that was a, I love Flash Mercury. I think it's just a cool. I just love kids' comics. Yeah, like comics that kids make because like the logic of it is just so different from anything in, in any other adult comics. Do Do you read Axe Cop by any chance? I don't, but I need to. Like everyone tells if me, you, awesome if you like really... kid logic, that's that's mm-hmm. the comic to read. Yeah, awesome. How about um your favorite era of Savage Dragon? Do you have one? That's a great question. Um, oof. I don't know. I think I kind of love them all for different reasons. You know what I mean? Like, that's, a, yeah. that's such a cop-out question I answer, but it's totally true. You know, like, I love Savage Dragon for many reasons, and I think the big part of it is that it's evolved and it's changed and it's never the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, 21 is the most formative issue on me, which we'll get into later, but yeah. Which, uh, which issue is that? 21. The one we're going to oh, talk yeah, about. Yeah. All right. That, that, that's the issue that made me a fan of the book for life. Like, I was like, all right, I'm in forever. Um, yeah. So... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, every issue. Every, I mean, like, there was one. I didn't, the only era that I'm not as hot on was the one where, like right after it became publisher, where it came out like twice a year. You know, <laughs> like uh, the presidential kind of. Yeah, era. It was not, it wasn't the strongest, but it's not bad. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of that either. Yeah, but I think like right now, I think it's some of the best the book's ever been. Yeah, I thought Emperor Dragon was awesome. Uh, yeah. You know. Um, I don't know. I mean, I love that book through and through. I mean, I love, I mean, I don't know. I love certain stories, but I wouldn't say like, I necessarily love a certain era more than any other, you know? Right. Um, I'm a sucker for Damien Darklord. I think whenever he shows up, I'm pretty stoked. Um, you know, I don't, I love, I love the Savage Dragon issue. I'm most excited about is the next issue. You know what I mean? Like, I'm always excited Mm -hmm. for where it's going to go. I'm not, I'm not so much concerned about where it's been. Um, and I think this is why I love the book so damn much. So, yeah, I mean, how lucky are we at, you know, most of us here, our favorite, you know, creator is Eric Larson, and we've been able to enjoy a book for, you know, insane amount of years, continuously drawn and and written by the same guys. It's just amazing. I'm so happy that, you know, when I was 12 or 13, I decided, you know, I freaking loved everything Eric Larson made, and I was going to collect all his stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it boggles my mind. I just realized recently that he's closer to being an issue three hundred than issue one. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like he's he's, past, he's well past one fifty. It's like really shocks me sometimes. I always compare other comics issues to like where Dragon was at that time. So like when I'm looking at like Walking Dead or Invincible, I'm like, damn, like Invincible's already in you know the eighties, and like by that time we're already into the Savage World and. It doesn't seem that long ago that the Savage World happened, but it really was. Yeah. Right. No, it's crazy that we we talked about that sort of experimenting in, in the past, and I think that's one of the big reasons that I've stayed with it and stayed with uh, you know just reading whatever Eric's been doing because right. he doesn't stay in one place, and I feel like 
you know, even if I love, you know, how the book looked at any particular point, if it stayed that way forever, like I might keep reading it, but it would lose uh, that, you know, kind of energy that comes with just throwing shit against the wall and seeing what works. And just, you know, all of the different kind of experiments that he does with art and storytelling and keeping the, the book, you know, changing as it going forward. And like, he's so opposed to doing the same thing twice mm-hmm. that, that it does, like you said, like I'm always excited about the next issue because he's one of those like few creators that's actually able to make me afraid for his characters and concerned about what's going to happen to them. And, you know, you, even getting into issue 200, you know that the people that you think are safe probably really aren't safe. And, right. uh, yeah, it's I like all the change. So, in terms of Savage Dragon sales, mm. why do you why do you think he can't sell as much as like an Invincible? I mean, at this point, Kirkman and you know Otley have been doing Invincible for a bajillion issues. You know, at least together for what seventy issues or so, yeah. and sales are still strong. And you know, Kirkman openly admits that you know steals a lot of the plays out of uh, Larson's book, you know, and mm. kind of learned his ropes by reading Savage Dragon, learned the ropes by reading Savage Dragon and openly admits it. Mm. And it's just, you know, it's so depressing to see some, like, where Dragon is on sales charts. And I'm just like, God, I hope it doesn't sink low. Like, I hope this book can keep coming out and, you know, make money so that Eric will keep putting it out and not have to, like, go to just doing, like, one book a year or something like that. It, what do you think is going on there? Um, I mean, it does really drive me insane that it doesn't sell more. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, because well, you know, like what what um, what Eric, what what Kirk said about Eric goes for me as well. I mean, I learned everything I know about the mechanics. Well, everything I know about the mechanics of comics, but a lot I know about the mechanics of comics because of reading Savage Dragon and you know learning that you know surprises have a bigger impact on the left hand page and. You should mm-hmm. always end every every right hand, or really every panel, but definitely every right hand page with some sort of cliffhanger. You know, um, I, I learned all that from from Savage Dragon and Eric, and it's extremely right. formative on me, um, and it really formed how I, the kind of comics I like and whatever. But anyway, um, I don't know. I, mean, I think it's kind of tough. I mean, like you know, uh, you know, the trade paperback program is, is a little a little rough, and uh, I, I don't really know. It just pissed me off, big time. I don't really know that I have an answer for you though. Well, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just funny because you hear, like, you know, the fanboys get all upset when there's big changes or creative team changes or something. And here you have, if you like Eric Larson and, and this book, you have, you know, 180 issues worth of this, you know, like, right. jump right into it, you know? I mean, people have no problem jumping into, like, the manga series and that have, like, tons of volumes. And it's just, what is it that people, I don't know. No, I I have a lot of faith in the book. I think it'll succeed over time. I don't know. Like, I really don't have, have an answer for you, bud. Sorry, man. <laughs> I don't know you know, I have this kind of thought that, like, you know, when when kind of Savage Dragon's gone in the future, people are gonna look back and they'll be like some kind of like Eric Larson collector, like the Jack Kirby collector, and like, wow, you know, you didn't realize how awesome this book was, and you know. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Like how amazing it was to have this guy just freaking work on this nonstop. I have a, a hazard and a guess at like 
what what you're asking, Craig, and I, I promise I won't go too long, but um, the size of the industry is small. And mm -hmm. it there was a time that it was not this small. And I'm not saying this to be like, oh, like comics are in danger or anything like that. I'm just talking about the amount of people that are reading comics now and the amount of copies that are being sold as opposed to, you know, a large portion of the 20th century. And um, is... I don't actually, I'm not asking this as a rhetorical because I, I don't know the answer to this. Is the ratio that Dragon sells now, like relative to the tops, to top selling books, right? Like a lot different. Like, is it a lot lower than it was? Um, I mean, I know it's significantly lower than it was when it first launched, but I mean, maybe when it was, you know, in, in, somewhere in the early years somewhere yeah. where comics were selling routinely millions of copies or hundreds of thousands of copies and now it's like you know nothing is is cracking that and i so i guess that's sort of my way of saying i sort of look at it like i think if the industry ever gets bigger again mm -hmm. then it'll sell more and obviously there's things other things that he can do maybe to try and uh you know grab new readers and 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 the avenues that you can go down, but I guess that's my my guess. Yeah, I mean it's it's hilarious when I, I know like we're, we're talking with uh, with um, Frank from the Vanguard episode when uh, you know we we're talking about how that one Vanguard uh, one shot was in like black and white because it only sold like what like fifty thousand copies or something, so they couldn't justify putting it in color. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. I think one of the other problems with the terms of sales is just because fans seem to be just lazy at the moment in that Marvel and DC keep doing all these crappy relaunches. So they're just looking at it going, well, there's a lot lower numbers, uh, issue numbers for, for the Marvel and DC things. Whereas if they look at Savage Dragon for 180, they're like, oh, no, that's a lot of reading. <laughs> I just think they're like, oh no, I'll just go with Green Lantern. It's not number one again, something yeah, like think, that. I think Gavin's closer to the point because, like, I just just for curiosity's sake, I brought up on my computer the sales uh, numbers for August two thousand four um, and the sales numbers for February twenty twelve. And the top book, until this is of course estimates on ICV two. It's not exact sales numbers. But the estimate for Astonishing X-Men number four, and this is in um, uh, 2004, so this is Josh Whedon's run, right. is 145,000 units. And then the top book in February is Justice League number six, which is 135,000 units. So really insignificant amount of dropping. Um, right. I think that's closer to what Gavin said. I think that, the, if anything, I think that those years that it, it came out infrequently really hurt it. Um, I think the fact that, you know, you're actually Invincible, Invincible's trade paperback and hardcover program has been really stable throughout the whole entire time it's really easy you know um yeah. with dragon i think you know it's hard to where do you start you know um because even if every trade i mean you know even if every every trade that wasn't in print was available at every store you know there's huge gaps missing yeah uh, they only clicked a few issues at a time you know i i have faith in savage dragon though a lot i mean it, it's my favorite comic period uh i you know i mean when we did the thing with the the Obama thing. I mean, granted, mm -hmm. that was kind of a gimmick, but we had a huge spike in sales numbers. Right. Uh, yeah. 
and uh, you know it carried on for a while. And you know when we did the Overlord thing, that had a spike in sales. So I don't know. I just think it's you know I mean I think it's a complicated answer. I don't think it's one thing or another. But I think Gavin's the one who's hitting it closer to this nose um, than than even myself. Is that I think it, fans are looking at it just like where do I start? And with like okay, what about Invincible? With Invincible, where do you start? Well, Invincible number one. And there's yeah. all these trades. If those trades are too much for you, you can buy these hardcovers and you can completely catch up. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. um it's a very I don't know. It's it's uh I think it I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm gonna start ranting here. Let's I mean I'm now. I'm hoping that digital kind of fills in this gap and helps push things like Dragon. Because <laughs> I think, you know, it may not be comicology, but the uh what's the other digital graphics out there? Yeah, they have like every issue of Savage Dragon. So I think, you know, we'll see maybe five years from now, you know, an iPad will be affordable for everybody. And it'll be just so easy to download every issue you want for, you know, 99 cents or two bucks, get all your back issues and then start collecting, you know. But we'll see. see. I I think digital, I know there's a lot of guys, Larry's comics and stuff that are so against it. (laughs) See, 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 hold on, I clarify something. So, so, okay, little little things. I'm I'm sorry. Larry's a friend of mine and I think Larry gets a lot of flack and Larry says, I mean, he's, I've called him on this. He says some stuff that I don't think he thinks about the way he's saying it. Larry has outright told me face to face and said online recently too, he does not hate digital. Larry, yeah. Larry, Larry, Larry's problem is with certain people's attitudes with with that print. promote just digital and put down print or and like you know he, here's the thing digital is not the enemy print is not dying like I said this online right. the other day yeah like it's it's a much more complex beast we're talking about well why does Invincible work why does Savage Dragon works well it's because certain comics even though they're superhero related they're very different in terms of approach and everything what it's not a black and white situation it works for one book doesn't work for another right so, Absolutely. Um, you know, when it comes to the, the, the how the industry is based, people are like, well, sales numbers are lower, which I just proven they're, they're not really since 2004. Um, but the market is very different. And they, it's, it's, it's a global economy. It's not just it's not just comics like it's not about selling, you know, six figures or single issues. It's about selling millions over single issues, trade paperbacks, hardcovers, merchandise, digital downloads, ancillary right. rights, foreign editions. It's it's. it's the global economy is very different, and comics are evolving with the global economy and how entertainment is sold in any sort of medium. And I think people are having a really hard time uh, or misunderstanding, you know, what exactly that means. And I uh, think obvi- the people that collect comics now, for the most part, obviously either live by comic shops or in areas of the comic shops. But there's a lot of areas in this country and around the world, of course. That don't have a comic shop and sure. you know to have that instant access to you know every comic book or whatever you know you just made another customer someone that probably wouldn't normally buy a comic because well it's I'll, 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 I'll tell you this so like I, I i love comics and my ideal format for myself to be read is single issues that's uh that's how i like my stuff to be read um i am you know my entire livelihood is based around comics right now and i'm i'm doing this having full faith that comics will will exist. You know, I think it'd be foolhardy just like, you know, put yourself into what the dying industry. I have a lot of faith that comics aren't dying. Is it hard to launch certain things? Yeah, for sure. And I've seen books that should succeed huge fail. But to look at that and say like look at this year, you know, I mean like look look at, you know, last year was a DC relaunch or this year with everything Image is doing, you know, um, it's a pretty it's pretty huge in terms of um 
you know, like, uh, you know, my understanding is that sales numbers on Saga are big and Fatal is the highest selling creator owned series Ed Brooks Braybaker has had. Um, you know, I, I'll, yeah, I'll, no, I, I'm not going to get into my personal sales numbers because it's my business, but you know, I can tell you hell yeah, has launched very health, you know, in a very healthful way. And, you know, I, um, a healthy way rather helpful is not really a word, but anyway, a healthy <laughs> way. Um, you know, and I know where I'm at in the total pull in comics. I'm very low. So the fact that I can launch, I mean, it, it, it's complicated. It's not a black and white like thing issue. And I think a lot of people make it that way. And it really drives me nuts. Right. Yeah. No, I agree with pretty much everything that you just said. And not in terms of the sales stuff, um, I would definitely say that there's not, it's like you said, it's not one thing. But what I was talking about wasn't comparing. 2012 numbers to 2004 numbers i'm talking about comparing the numbers from maybe you know 2000 to now to the numbers that the industry had from you know 1940 to let's let's get into that because here's here's thing people don't realize like people are like oh man you sold like 140,000 copies of alpha flight back in 1989 or whatever yeah but you know how many of those were returned you know or the comics the way the comics industry and is 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 operates is so drastically different in terms of you know like if, if I sell say I sell um uh twenty twenty thousand units to a comic store for sake just throwing a number out there is random right, number right. uh those have all sold right if I sell um if if in the in the old economy if I sold forty thousand units to bookmark uh, or rather um newsstands I'm probably getting close to a number I put out 40, I'm probably getting like close to 25,000 copies back. Right. Like, like that's the thing that people forget. It's like, yeah, you've, you've, you've got to take that into consideration when you're analyzing these numbers. And here's the thing. It's like walking dead. Right. So it sells what, like, I don't know, 30 something thousand. I don't have that right in front. I mean, I'll look at it right now. So walking dead sells roughly around 30, 35,000 copies right now. And that's just an estimate. I don't know what the exact sales numbers are. But it sells millions when you when you put in, you know, trade paperbacks and hardcovers, right, and, right, right, and digital and stuff like that. Like it's a much more complicated market. It's not like I said earlier. It's not about selling single issues. It's about selling single issues and trades and hardcovers. That's and a good point. Yeah. All these formats, like the reader has developed in a much different way than mm-hmm. it ever than it ever existed. Like it's it's a totally different type of market. I mean, I, I think, think out and you. Sorry, I think out of anyone, Kirkman's done the best at playing to that market. Kirkman and and, and I I think we really need to give credit where credit's due. Eric Stevenson have developed this model that I think is really the model of, you know, kind of of the future here. And, you know, I don't want to discount, like, I think Hellboy is another huge example of this. I think, uh, you know, the lock and key is certainly following suit. Um, You know, I mean, there are a lot of the interesting coming from publishers, so it's and, you know, not everything succeeds, but that's the nature of art. That's never been, you know. Yeah. Pe- people seem to think this is a new concept that the majority of things don't work out. Like, that's just how art is, you know. And if you wanted, like, there's, you know, one quote that really always stuck with me was actually a relatively recent quote from uh, Robert Crumb. He was, there's a, uh, um, uh, Harvey Picard made, made these operas, or he used to, used to before, of course, before he passed, but, uh, where it has uh, begins with a conversation between him and Crumb, and Crumb's like, "Look, if you want to do esoteric art that does not meet the market, then don't expect to succeed." And like right. that's brutal, and that that sucks to say, but it is also true. 
Yeah. Like I have this one career own thing I'm not going to get into that I'm trying to figure out right now. And I look at the market and I'm just like, I recognize I'm not going to sell a ton of comics because it is so right. good. That's the thing you have to understand. Like if you want to do your weird thing that doesn't seem to have a market, then you probably, you may not succeed at the same time. You know, you could throw out a, hey, um, well, walking dead, there was no market for zombie comics at the time. And with Chu, who thought a cannibalistic cop book would ever succeed? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. That, but that's that's the thing. It's like, and it's not all luck. Like, I get really angry when I hear people like, "Oh, Kirkman's lucky," or "John Layman's lucky." You know, I will tell you, both those guys, and and I know Kirkman's history a lot more than than, than Layman's, but like Robert has been working his ass off for, for years, years yeah, yeah, since he was 19 years old. Yeah. Okay, so that's over 10. It's over a decade, almost 13 years to get where he is right now. You know, it's not yeah. something that happened overnight. And frankly, a lot of creators haven't done what he's done. I haven't done what he's done. I, I'm not much younger than him. And I, I you know, I, I recognize I don't have a lot of success. And it's not because, oh, he got lucky and I, you know, whatever. I didn't. It's because he, 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 he's a brilliant guy and he works his ass off and he deserves every, every goddamn thing that, that right. the success right. that, that he gets. You know, like, I, I really, I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm getting really, like, up in arms about this. Stuff. No, no, it's good <laughs> but, stuff. You, you, the point about the market being, a yeah. uh, really different place than it was before is well yeah. taken, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I, I don't want to uh, get you off on another tangent, but sure, let's um, do it. <laughs> but it sort of relates because you were talking about books being returnable, and uh, I've been seeing a lot of complaining recently uh, about. I think it's mostly people are complaining about Image, but they're complaining about why why do people keep announcing books that are selling out when you know these books probably aren't being ordered in crazy high numbers and i was getting into a conversation with a guy about this and i was saying you know stevenson's gone on record a bunch of times as saying that over the image overprints on everything yes. and and at the same time they're he's trying very hard to maintain a really good relationship with the retailers and they don't want to you know overprint to such a point that they really risk giving the retailers a bunch of books that they're stuck with and that they can't sell. And so he was talking about, Stevenson said this in a few interviews, um, when a book sells out and then it goes to a second printing or a third printing, like that's really awesome. And like, congratulations again on glory and, and hell yeah, doing, doing just that. But at the same time, he would rather the book not sell out and that it just, initially initial orders are larger because the sellout means between those printings there's a time when maybe that book isn't on the shelf and those are sales that you know they may be losing if their if initial orders were larger and then that gets into a whole other thing about how do we know when a book is going to be huge and how do you know retailers gauge like a new book and all that kind of stuff but, right well no it's true I'll, I'll tell you this much you know i i, I know and I met a lot of people in comics, and you know I have a huge bias with with Eric. It's obvious because I you know came up in comics, and he really gave me a huge start. But he he is pretty much one of the most no bullshit guys I know. So if you see something in an interview with him, if he says this is this is what happens, I I, I will guarantee you it is what what the reality is. Um, having worked on images print runs while I was there, I will tell you that is exactly what happened. Like in terms of like, you know the. the, the like, you know, you can't overprint too much because you overprint too much, you run the risk of sitting on a bunch of units. But the, the, they, they do overprint on everything. I know what my numbers are on Hell Yeah, and, I, and mm -hmm. I have an idea what they are in Glory. I know what they were overprinted at, and we still sold through, you know. Um, 
and I still think it's, you know, I think people will discount it, you know, because like, oh, well, what if, you know, we get really snarky about it, like, well, well, doesn't mean it sold you know, a huge amount of numbers. But regardless, it shows that the demand is higher than the expectation on the form of the, 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 the retailer. There's not, it's not market manipulation. It's just like, this is, this is what's happening. People maybe aren't ordering as much as they should, you know? Yeah, that's kind of what I thought, and I just wanted to see if that was the yeah. case. Because um, yeah. I understand the whole need to, um, you know, you're a publisher and you're wanting to drum up as much interest as you can. But we've also seen books occasionally, um, you know, unfortunately get solicited and then get canceled before they get published because initial orders are too low. Yeah, that's true. And, that's, and that's also been going on since comics have existed. No, absolutely. And and but it's just like there. It seems like Stevenson. I mean, I'm sure this is true of. The, you know, uh, publishers everywhere, but it seems like he's been really good about um, trying to maintain those relationships with the retail arm and, you know, like I said, not get them stuck with too much product that maybe right. that is not selling. And yeah, no, so, exactly. Well, yeah. you think so, like, um, first thing, I think, you know, the retailers are such an essential part of, of how the industry operates, right? So, you know, if you look at, say, let's, let's look at the 90s, for instance, right? 90s was a really messed up period of time for many reasons, distribution wars, you know, whatever. And a big part of why comics hit, hit a big hit because publishers were overselling things to retailers on a non-returnable basis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, telling people that, hey, the return of Superman is going to be just as big as the death of Superman. And, you know, then retailers being stuck in with a huge amount of books and having to be forced to go out of business. Yeah, that's Superman at 500. Stevenson, yeah. and, and again, he, he thinks long term. You know, he, he, he's not thinking about how many comics can I sell right now today. He's thinking about how much comics can I sell, you know, in, in perpetuity. You know, which is why the trade paperback program overall, the image is really freaking strong. Um, and, and again, you know, I am, this is a very image-heavy conversation, but I do want to say, you know, I think a lot of other publishers are, are doing a, a great job of this as well. Yeah. But, you know, if, if he sold, you know, let's say, you know, he sold uh, a, like a ton of a book into a retailer and you know, that number one succeeded just because of that, but they didn't sell through, then it doesn't work out for anybody. It doesn't work out for the creator. It doesn't work for the publisher. And as soon as it doesn't work out for, 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 for you know, the, the retailer itself. So, you know, it, it's, yeah, I mean, things do sell out a lot, but I will tell you it's, it's, it's methodical for the reasons people don't think it's methodical for, you know, people are thinking, Oh, you just want the buzz. And it's not about the buzz. It's about selling the right amount of books. And, um, right. I think that if the 2012 is, is proven everything thus far is that retailers have a better understanding of how to order image books, and that's no that's not to disparage retailer at all. I think it's incredibly hard. In fact, I know it's hard. I have worked there, got a couple of retailers. Um, uh, and uh, it's incredibly hard to order books. Yeah. But I think that the way the market is sort of evolving and, and the way um, things are going, it's it's it, it's it's much easier to get an understanding. You know, I mean, I, I really get upset. I, I keep saying I really get upset when, so I guess I should stop saying that. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I was talking about Larry earlier. You know, he's a, he's an incredibly smart guy, despite mm-hmm. saying some dumb things in public. Um, and uh, you know, he was talking about Saga earlier the other day, and it's like, you know, you, you don't order one month on Saga. You order for five months on Saga, and you well, this taper this off or whatever. Like, um, it's people are, are people. It it, it it's. Like because of Walking Dead, because of Chew, because of Morning Glory, because of all these other hits, like um, or Umbrella Academy. I don't know, again, I don't want to discount what other publishers are, are, are doing. It, it, it's becoming easier to kind of gauge. It's never going to be easy. It's always going to be difficult, but it's easier to gauge how to sell, 
you know, create own comics. Um, I mean, uh, I will tell you my, my and, uh, and again, I, I, I don't feel comfortable discussing specifics, but I'm, you know, I'm very happy with my hell yeah numbers, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're, they're higher than I would have expected. And, uh, I'm extremely grateful for that. Um, I don't know if that would have been the case two years ago, three years ago, you know, right. I think it would have been much lower if it was two or three years ago, to be frank. And you think people are more willing to give new ta- new talent a chance because of like the kind of stuff Image has put out recently? Is, I mean, well, look at it this way, right? Like, I'm I'm in terms of writers, I'm nobody. Like, I I know my place. Like, I I, I don't I, I view myself as a nobody. You know, I, I have a couple books out, and, you know, making a name for myself. But you know, I'm, my stuff is now coming from a publisher who has the pedigree of Robert Kirkman and Brian K. Vaughan and Mark Miller, and you know. A huge list amount of names that go on and on and on and on and on. You know, Ed Brubaker. Uh, they just announced Grant Morrison. You know what I mean? And I think that helps when you have a pedigree that strong. Um, that helps sell other books, I think. Right. Sure. Right. So. Cool. Yeah. Sorry for taking the long way around, guys. But uh, that's all very interesting stuff. And <laughs> and, and and congrats again on the. Uh, you know, early success of, of these titles because, you know, just between all of us, uh, we've been saying for a while that uh, we think you're not going to be a nobody for long. <laughs> I, I, I swear I'm not just kissing your ass. Like, I, I've been saying that be- basically since the first thing that I read that you wrote. Um, and I've, you know, thought that the stuff that you did in the Next Issue Project was really good. Uh, the Stardust story was really powerful and the twisted funniest thing. And then, you know, as soon as we saw that you had your own books coming out, of course we were going to check them out just because, you know, we're fellow dragon fans and we we've known you, but, uh, after reading these books, we know that you actually have something to say. And, uh, so we're in it for the long haul and, and, and definitely best of luck. That means a huge amount, especially coming from you guys. So thank you very much. You know, I forgot to mention this, but actually, um, we're talking about Pop gun I met you at, I forget what year, at Baltimore Comic Con, but it was when Pop Gun Volume 2 came out, and I kind of pulled you aside and was talking to you about Volume Good. 1 and how I loved it, and you're like, oh, Volume 2 came out, and I was like, yeah, I didn't get it yet, and you just right there handed me a copy. You were like, here, just buy Volume 3 when it comes out, and I was like, <laughs> <"Man>, <laughs> <cool."> nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was my I appreciate that. No, of course, yeah, my pleasure, my pleasure. I hope you liked it. Yeah, they're awesome. Well, uh, Joe, you said uh, the issue twenty-one was the issue that made you a comic fan or want to work in the industry. No, the issue, the issue that made me want to work in the industry. Well, the issue that made me a comic fan. I have no idea. I, no one knows what it is. I've just always been a comics fan. The issue that made me want to work in the industry was spot number ten. But the issue that made me a Savage Dragon fan and made it my favorite book for the rest of my life to this day is uh, Savage Dragon number twenty-one. Ah. And the, the the big reason for that is I you know I had been reading superhero comics you know forever, and um, I uh, I uh, you know I just I had all these rules that were kind of established in my head you know you can never kill the main villain and you can never do this or you can never do that whatever, and I feel this issue more than any other really prove that that's all BS you can do whatever you want you know they kill the main villain you know and all this other stuff within the issue so uh, that's kind of what I got out of it. They destroy the whole SWAT team in the first panel. I mean, I, yeah. it was a twenty issue twenty where they're all like just kind of like landed and they see yeah. Overlord on the last panel, and then you kind of like you open up the page of twenty one. It's like boom, you're like oh shit. 
Yeah, and there's a double. There's that first that first page where the the copier's thrown back, and then the two page spread in black and white. Yeah, it's all like away instantly. It just blinds you looking at it. Yeah. It's it's so like visually stunning. I'm looking at the the double page spread in my archives, and even in black and white, it's impressive. Yeah, well, I it still basically is black and white in the color book too. I have my entire run of Savage Dragon at home, but I I, I saw the same copy of number twenty one I bought back in ninety five. Nice. You know, like that's that's what I I have here, and I'm flipping through it right now, and just like, yeah, I know it's such a strong, and the fact it was all splash pages and everything for the most part during the battle yeah. scenes, you know, uh, such a great book. I mean, what do you guys think? Look at like the little details, like when Larson sometimes does these things, like he draws a helicopter, like I've never seen anyone else draw a helicopter, but it looks so damn cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is it's got these like four little spotlights or something on the bottom. Like it's some kind of helicopter I've never seen before. It works. It's like, it's always in silhouette too. You never see it in detail. Yeah. (laughs) That's a little shorthand, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But it's dramatic and it looks cool. It is. This is, I think, was this the first time we ever seen like dragon, like burn to a crisp where it's like, his kind of like pink kind of skin, you know, his skin's like burnt off. Yeah. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just so much to take in in those first few pages. You're like, damn. I think one of the great things about the actual fight is that it doesn't actually take that long. You think it's yeah. going to be a huge rematch, but Dragon's smarter than that. One single gunshot to the mm. mouth, boom, he's dead. <laughs> right. That. It's not a long, drawn-out fight because he knows that he lost the last one, so he's smart. Just kills him straight off. Perfect. It's a couple of like the, the panel where he's kind of like dragons, it's like he's fallen out of the helicopter and he's like in the fort and he's in the background kind of shooting Overlord and you got Chris Eliopoulos's blam, 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 which we were kind of talking about off air before. Right, yeah. And you got those little like circles, which are like the gun blasts, but those kind of juxtaposed against the blam and the bullet yeah. casings kind of going up. It's just like this. You know, it's these little details that are just like, wow, it's just neat. It's like something only comics can do. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And, that, and, that, and that's why I love Savage Dragon because it's a, it's a comic book. It's not, a, it's not like, I mean, I'm sure a Savage Dragon movie or whatever would be cool. But, like, it, I don't think it would work nearly as well. Because I think it's such a strong comic. And that's a mm-hmm. huge, I, I mean that as a huge compliment because I don't think enough comics are comics, if that makes sense. You know what I'm getting, kind of getting at here? Yes, yes. But, yeah. No, I mean, the, the, learn so much from this issue. I mean, again, talking about keeping your surprises on left-hand page or whatever. Mm-hmm. So good. It's like things that only comics can do, like that one splash page where Overlord kind of hits that spike that, yeah. you know, a few issues prior, Savage Dragon impaled himself on. Right. You know, it's like you can use that same exact panel and juxtapose those. Right. And, you know, yeah, it's such a, power, it's such a powerful moment. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. funny, you know, we're talking about like having stuff in hell yeah that like was like not supposed to be a, like a big mystery, but apparently it was read that way. I remember him saying later on, like, I didn't think the identity of who Overlord was was supposed to be this big thing. Right. Uh, I remember just being so like, oh my God, it's Antonio Sietti, blah, blah, blah. Which, hey, Gavin, <laughs> you, you'd know this. Uh, didn't they say who it was first in like an issue of Freak Force or something like that? Yeah, it was when Bludgeon was uh, rampaging, I think. See, 14. I love this guy. <laughs> they, they mentioned Antonio Segetti. 
yeah, well, he's, he's saying about kicking people out of the city, like the cops should get out, Sagetti should get out. Right. But nothing else is like mentioned about who the hell that guy is. Not right. until. Hmm. But that was, that, that, that was well before this issue came out, though, wasn't it? Yeah. Hmm. That's funny. Well, all the uh, all the history we really get about the guy is in this two pages. It's like his entire history. Yeah. yeah. And it's cool because you see like Octopus as a gangster and yeah. you see Cyberface kind of like mm-hmm. as a in regular person. Guys. Yeah. And it's it's all like you're getting told his life story as he's falling to his death, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. I love the bit when it's that story starts, the silhouette of him with as a, a boy with the knife. You're just like, I, I remember reading this going, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> um, the the idea of him being, you know, the mafia boss that had to, you know, build himself this suit of armor to keep up with the freaks when the sort of freaks started taking over, it, it like, makes sense. And it's kind of funny that Eric wasn't originally intending it to be this, like, big mystery. It's just like, oh, it's a mafia guy. And then exploiting that later when Overlord is returned by making it into a mystery on the like subsequent Overlords. Yeah, oh, for sure. Gotta love the pan- panel where Overlord is like, you know, he hits the, the sidewalk and you got John Day, of course, looking down. <laughs> Charlie Brown. Yeah. Good old John Day. Yeah, I mean, this issue's just got a lot of cool little little nods to it and stuff. I mean, you got, uh, I think the first time we've ever seen dragon all bandaged up from head to toe is in this issue as well mm-hmm. with the Jimmy Olsen cameo. Yeah. It was funny. It's a great issue. I specifically remember when this, uh, issue came out, like I knew I'd seen the solicitation or whatever, or that, you know, overlord revealed and it was given to me for my birthday by a friend, like at my birthday party. And, I was like, okay, you guys go continue half the party in the other room. I have to read this. <laughs> That's seriously what happened. And then, you know, I read it and then came out and they're like, you know, like, you know, they'd been asking me, really? You're going to like go hang out? And they came back and they were like, so was it, was it worth it? And I was like, yeah, it was good. How old were you at the time? <laughs> what? How old were you at the time? Like which birthday was this? Oh man, let's see. When did this come out? 1995? Yeah, 95. So I would have been 12 or 13. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're like the same age, yeah. No, yeah. That's really funny. I would have done the same thing under the circumstances. <laughs> and I'm, I'm an old man. I was 18, I think. <laughs> it was a long, long-awaited, uh, you know, kind of showdown revelation kind of thing. As So so you were kind of, you were pretty young when, when you were reading this. Did you ever feel the need to kind of like hide them because of like the gratuitous sex and like oh, rapture? Oh, like... yes, for sure, man. There was some <laughs> yeah. like, shower scene and stuff like that. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, there's there, 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 there's an issue where he's doing Alex in the butt, like, but it's 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 kind of like not so much the sex scenes, but the fact that it was sort of like a lot dirtier, a lot more violent. And so on. Then the comics I'd read on Marvel or DC or even other books at Image was what really attracted me to it. You know, it was just like, wow, this is such a, this is like a next level superhero thing. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for sure. I think a lot of people that pick it up 
now don't get that point. Don't realize what the you know what comics were kind of like mainstream comics were like back then. Uh, well, it's funny because like with with Hell Yeah, people were like, oh, you know, you're, you're so inspired by Kickass, and I do like Kickass, but no, man, Savage Dragon is number one in terms of inspiration for me for sure, and how I approach Hell Yeah and all that kind of stuff. So I've been getting a lot of comparisons to Mark Miller's work, and I love Mark Miller's work. He's really, I think he's really good, but. Savage Dragon is, is really what informs me uh, so much as a creator. So It's funny because I still hide the issues from my wife that have Alex Gandit <laughs> in the butt. It's funny. <laughs> funny. I'm like, oh, I don't want to see this. And she'll start making fun of me or something. So, yeah, that's 21 in a nutshell pretty much. Yeah, great issue. I'm, I'm, Damn, great uh, issue. I could, I could talk about it all day. So I appreciate the forum here and actually talk about it with other people so yeah definitely it's been really good to, to talk you your ear off and have you been to ours and uh get some insight into your experience you know especially just launching two new books it's really interesting to hear you talk about that and just have you i don't know if you've already covered this but have you got any amusing stories of just hanging out with eric yeah we kind of went the jughead of shakes thing yeah, yeah, we went into that a little bit earlier, uh, <laughs> and a few other things. But I don't know. I mean, Eric's Eric's one of my closest friends, and, and I uh, um, one of my biggest supporters. And um, you know, I, I owe a huge. I mean, my first credit was on Savage Dragon, and you know, a huge amount of my career to him. I mean, even before I knew him, like I said, you know, it, it inspired me so much. Um, funny incidents that we haven't covered already. Uh, I'm trying. It's weird. it's odd to like think about like oh little moments in a you know a timeline. I've known somebody since like '98. You know what I mean? Like it's been it's been a long time. But uh, no, he's a very I mean genuine and, and, and real guy, and you know he, he he loves comics and you know loves Savage Dragon more than uh than than anything else. And and like you know you see on his Twitter feed like that's him. You know like that's that's who he that's who he is. He doesn't hide who he is and how he talks or, or, or whatever. And I really admire him for being, you know, I think a lot of people, and I even find myself doing this a little bit, you know, find ourselves, you know, putting on not a persona necessarily, but, um, you know, who you are with your friends and who you are with your family and who you are with the internet or whatever and publicity kind of a little bit different with Eric. It's just like the same guy through and through yeah. and through, yeah. which I really, really, really admire. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Listen to the podcast before you got on here. I guess. Because cool. <laughs> that, but no, Eric's a, Eric's a, a really great guy. Cool. Hey, when 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 Eric was thinking about taking over, kind of like those Kirby characters, like mm. Silver Star and all the Pacific Comics guys. Remember, there was a time when he was publisher, and there was actually like right. I think maybe a solicitation or a press release that he was going to start, right. you know, doing some of those comics. Were you there at that that period, and do you yeah. remember him drawing anything or starting um, it? I honestly don't remember if he drew anything. Uh, he drew that poster that came out, but yeah. I don't. I don't. I honestly don't remember being on that. He started Silver Star. He drew some Silver Star, and uh-huh. I think it's up in the air as to whether or not that's ever going to see print anywhere. Yeah, no, I, I have no idea. Unfortunately, I would love to. I think. Uh, you know, I'm not disparaging anything Dynamite's doing. Quite frankly, I, I haven't really read it. Um, but I, and that's nothing against them. It's just for whatever reason, you know, I haven't read it. I think if there's anyone to, uh, 
if, if I was a publisher or if I was in charge of the Kirby estate, it's probably a better point of view. And I had to license my characters to somebody. Eric Larson would be on top of my list. You know, yeah. um, the guy owns entire issues of Commandy. Yeah, I guess that's a good that's a good Eric Larson story. So the first time I ever went to his house, when I, when I was collar flying, I was so nervous because I had again I had met him briefly in '98 in a couple of years, but I, I the first time I ever like went over to his house in Oakland was with Mark Engler because he was busy. I mean, he was dropping off some Mighty Man pages. And we go into Eric's studio, and it's a mess. There's like piles of stuff everywhere. And um, I'm just standing there, just nervous, not wanting to screw anything up or push anything. And I remember I turned my head, and there was a big stack of, like, huge stack of, of pages. And I was like, oh, what's all this? They go, oh, that's Savage Dragon. And I was like, <laughs> what? Because I had every single page of original art in, like, this big pile just sitting there. And I was like, really? Like, you just have this, like, out here? And he's like, yeah, whatever. If those are your pages, then what's in these folders? And you go, oh, yeah, open those up. And it was, like, entire issues of Commandy and, like, Jack Kirby pages. And, Gotta like, take care of those. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> you just have these sitting in a folder? Just like, what the, what is wrong with you, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and actually, it was funny. It was also, like, he was like, so what's your deal? And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I want to... I really want to write comics, but I don't know what to do. And again, and, and showing how genuine Eric is, he just looks at me. He's like, "I don't know what to tell you, son. Like, I just don't know what to say." <laughs> so you know, like he's not gonna feed you bullshit. Just, yeah, he's hey. like, just you gotta just do it, you know. But yeah. uh, yeah, no, Eric's a great guy. Yeah. Do you uh do you own any original Eric art? I do. I um I don't I don't. I, well, the only Savage Dragon page I have is there was a, a version of a page, and no, Gavin, I'm not going to sell it. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, he was penciling, and it was like an early page, and he was like, it's going to get rid of it. And I was like, I'll take that, like, if you don't want it. And he's like, all right, but you got to ink it. And I was like, all right. <laughs> I got this page, and, I, and I've had it for a couple of years now, and I'm so freaked out to, like, ink it. But it. that was the deal. Where, like, no, I have to at some point, because that was the deal. You know, like, we'll make a photocopy for us first. Yeah, exactly. But it, if you've seen <laughs> Eric, they're they're very loose. But um, I have a couple Flash Mercury sketches because Flash Mercury's my favorite dragon character. I've got a, I've got a head sketch he did for me when I first met him, and I've got a, a double page spread he drew for me of Flash fighting a robot. Nice. And a little Mister Glum in the background. Um, nice. I've had oh for my birthday he gave me um and that's not a dragon page but it's actually one of my favorite pieces he's ever done. Uh, my birthday a few years ago, he gave me a, uh, I don't know if you guys read, I think it was Pop Gun 2, where it had that uh, Gorilla Mare and the, the Bacon Mummy dancing. Yeah. yeah. I, own, I own that. Nice. nice. So, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I've got I've got some stuff, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, despite the fact that he's become a close friend, he's still one of my favorite creators. So, yeah. you know, I, I really, yeah. I, I got some, I got some Larson stuff for sure. <laughs> so. Well, if, if you ever have like a glory issue where it's a knockout drag out brawl with Supreme or something, you have to have Eric do a variant cover for you. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I've never, I don't know if I've ever outright even said this. I, I want to work with him at some point for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I mean, having those two pages of that Savage Dragon backup I did drawn by him. Yeah. I, mean, I, I get teary. I'd even just thinking about that now. Cause it's just like, you know, he's, Savage Dragon is such a big reason why I create comics and, and how I create comics. And to have written Savage Dragon that he drew, you know? And I was thinking right. about that. I was like, dude, is this the first Savage Dragon that someone other than you, that you drew? And now I'm not counting Injury United because that was like a jam thing. But I'm like, in Savage Dragon, 
Have you ever drawn anything that anyone else has ever written? And Gavin, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sorry I keep referring to Gavin, but I just think of Gavin as like, it's funny. I'll tell you this, Gavin, too. Like, if any time Eric and I have ever, like, I don't know what was this thing, we're always like, I think I bet Gavin would know. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's definitely the first time that I know of. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so like, you know, um, it's pretty huge for me. But yeah, I know definitely. Like, uh, Supreme is a, I wouldn't say a regular character in glory but she's certainly really important to glory so do you uh do you work with or do you talk with eric about what you're doing with glory and discuss what he's doing with supreme just because you're in the same kind of universe there or sure but we're not we're not making ourselves beholden to like yeah. oh well, you're doing this supreme so i can't do this over here um right. issue 25 has a pretty crazy moment with supreme um mm-hmm. but um you know, like he knows about it, but he's not like, oh, well, I got to make sure to work that in now, you know? Right, right. Um, I do want to do a straight out crossover at some point. I think that would be cool. There's no plans for it at all. Right. Like just me, like this is like a thing I'd like to do. I haven't like run it by Eric or Rob or anybody <laughs> yet, but I would love to do that at some point for sure. Yeah. You know, so well, I'm, how does I'm that, percent how does that work with like with Rob Liefeld? Do you like every issue kind of you give him like a a draft or something like that and he approves it or is he kind of like hands off or uh he's very involved i mean he he approved my pitches and you know he's on the same server as all the art and scripts go through so he sees everything um i'll say this you know it's funny that that san diego is talking about that 2004 i met rob there too and he was so cool he was just like you know i was just a color flyer at the time he's like yo man you ever need anything here's my phone number blah 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 really freaking cool guy and that remains to this day, like, uh, you know, the, these negative, um, I don't know what you would call them, rumors or, or p- ways people view Rob is, is, is really a bunch of BS for them, you know, and I really get, again, I really get irritated by it. But, I've met him a couple of times, and I talked to him a few times, and he's, like, the nicest guy in comics. Like, yeah, he's no, super he's, nice, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, super yeah. cool. And, like, uh, you know, he's been extremely supportive. I mean, I'll say, not to make a pun, but, like, you know, he he had tons of offers to bring Mexico Extreme over the years and didn't want to do them. He was like, "No, nah, it's not right. It's not the way it should be." So, you know, he he's very particular about how things work, and you know, but he's also very supportive of like Ross and I are going to do some. I mean, every creator says this, and it's usually a bunch of BS. But in truthfully, we're doing a lot of crazy stuff on this book. And Rob has any time I've been like, "Oh man, here's the idea." Where Rob's like, "No," he, he's always like, "Yeah, that sounds awesome. Do it." And I was like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just that's the impression I got just knowing, like, Brandon Graham's output, like, the kinds of projects that he's done in the past, and then seeing him go on profit, and he's basically said, you know, I kind of have free reign, and I've, Rob has tweeted once or twice that, you know, he approves every, he has to approve every page of the Extreme books, but he hasn't rejected anything yet. Yeah, that's exactly it. We're like, yeah, Brandon's doing a bunch of crazy, crazy, crazy stuff with profit. But Rob is super supportive of it, you know? Like, he, he doesn't really he doesn't have a problem. He's not like, oh, well, you can't do this because of whatever. You know, the thing is, Rob, again, it gets really negative connotations. Like, he, he is really forward-thinking when it comes to comics. And, you know, people are like, well, you know, he, he draws 90s comics. He doesn't draw 90s comics. He draws the Rob Liefeld comics, and those are great. But he loves all sorts of comics, you know? Um, you know, uh, Glory, as Ross and I are doing it, is the huge visual departure from how it's been in the past. And I think Rob is pretty much our number one supporter in, ter- in terms of, um, you know, doing such radical stuff with the book. You know, he, he he's not so con- much concerned with static status quo as he is thinking about the future, and I think that applies to 
not just his comics, but comics in general. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very, very I good did, to have that kind of support, I think. I did, I did notice, like, you know, when, when the first, I guess, Glory 23 came out and all of, like, the first issues of the new wave of Extreme, they kind of, you had that thing up top, it was like, you know, first issue and a bold new era for Extreme. But then, you know, with the second issue of Glory and since the reboot, and I think the second issue of Profit, there's kind of no kind of extreme label on there. I thought that, I imagine that that there would be like an imprint kind of like Sky Dog or, you know, Shadow Line or whatever. And, it, you know, is there is there a story behind that? Why that's not, you know, he's not kind of pushing that or is um, it just, yeah, it's not, just the way that, it is? Not that I'm particularly aware of, no. Yeah. So... I mean, I, I I think they want the books to succeed for what they are, as opposed to being some, you know, uh, um, you know, what's the term I'm looking for, like uh, gimmick event thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Rob, Rob's concerned with his properties being represented in modern ways and doing innovative stuff, not so much, hey, let's have sales on these things and make it some big event thing. You know, he wants glory to succeed because it's glory. He wants profit to succeed because it's profit and, you know, Supreme for Supreme and Bloodstrike and so on, you know? Right. Yeah, I think that's more what it is than anything else. Well, I don't know. Does anyone else have any other questions or wrap it Not up? A question. <clears throat> Not sure. a question, but I think the first thing, just wanted to mention the first thing that I ever saw that Joe wrote was the um, introduction to, I think it was God War. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious reading that. Just to say that. Thank you very much. That was very. That was a very weird moment to have that text piece in there. <laughs> All right, gents, you got anything else for me? Or? Oh, we could keep going on, but I, I, I mean, unless people have something real pushing, I don't know. I think maybe we should try to wrap it up. And, sure. Yeah, Whatever you down the line. We'll uh, we might be able to get you back on again if you're sure. willing. Absolutely, no, this is a total blast. I had a great time. Cool. We would love to have you on again. Sure. Thank you so much, dude. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for spending your time. I know we kind of took you away from your work for a while, but we really uh, appreciate you talking to us. Oh, it's, it was my pleasure yeah, for sure. And known a couple of you guys for a really long time, so it was cool to actually finally sit down and talk all things dragon and whatever else. All right. Thanks Bye. for joining us. Thank, thank you, guys. I'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye. 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 I, have, I have something. Uh, I, I promise I won't go too long because I know we're over, over long. But I have an idea of one more reason that might be responsible for Dragon not having, like, the readers that it should have. And we began to get – we almost got to this point, which was we were talking about hiding the Dragon comics. And, you know, it – it's now competing against mainstream books like yeah. Marvel and DC books that are almost as risque and have that level of violence that, you know, back in 1992, they didn't, Right. Uh, you know, and, and so now it's not exactly that like stepping stone book of the next, you know, things are a little harder core here than they might be over in, Batman. They're certainly not more hardcore than they than things are in like some of Marvel's Max line books or, or or things like that. Like a lot of people have mainstream Marvel DC books that they can go to to get that kind of R rated fix. Right. Used to be you'd have to yeah, you'd have to read Savage Dragon and the other Image comics and get that sort of feel. But now yeah. everyone's doing it, and so they get lost in the shuffle. 
Yeah, and I sort of feel like some of the very best comics are like comics that you have to hide from your parents, like in the 50s, you know, or it was the EC stuff. And, and uh, I, and this is, I'm not saying this being having anything to do with Savage Dragon at all. I just don't think that the function of like Marvel and DC is to be books that you have to hide from people. Right. Right. You know? Um, regardless of what Eric is doing or, or anybody else, just uh, don't necessarily think that they're the ones that need to be um, doing R-rated stuff. I mean, it's it's also it's a culture thing too. I mean, overall things are more violent, more sexually charged than they were ten years ago, and that's just you know well, an ongoing thing. Their audience too. They're serving you know the aging audience of comic uh, comic fans you know that were around then and have continued to be around largely because their, like, maturing tastes are being catered to. You know what I mean? And maturing in terms of, like, not necessarily more mature, but, you know, like, uh, we want, you know, we want to, we don't want kids' comics. We want, right. you know. And that's a whole nother commentary that's a whole nother thing. on, yeah, on yeah. the state of the comic book <laughs> industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just saw a, a tweet. There was a tweet from Joe. He just sent sent a tweet to Eric and said, Eric, dude, just got finished talking Savage Dragon 21 with the Dragon Fan blog, and you wish Chris a happy first birthday. And then it has the hashtag, I feel old. (laughs) (laughs) So that's another episode of the Savage Fincast in the can. I think that we had a rather epic interview with Mr. Keaton. It was a lot of fun. It was. It was. A guy can talk, and I could listen to him all night. <laughs> um, so next episode, hopefully, um, newest issue of Savage Dragon 179 should be out. That should get us knee-deep in the invasion arc, so things should be getting exciting again in Savage Dragon. Yeah, and I think we'll pro- we'll have uh, the new Supreme out, right, to talk about at the same time? Right, it comes out the yeah, first week of April. same day. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a packed, packed episode, I think. And I guess from now on, our fincasts will be about talking about Supreme and Savage Dragon for the most part, you know, unless we separate ones. But yeah, if we can, if we can get to doing two episodes a month, like we keep planning on, and then it goes a month and a half between episodes. Um, this episode was us making all of the schedules our bitch. Yep. Because we were somehow able to finally get everybody on. And I know, Gavin, you were a little late. I'm sorry that you didn't have the right time, but I'm glad that you came and uh, that we were all able to be on. Yeah, I'll just make sure next time I know the uh, the time difference is properly. Yeah, for sure. I think that's going to wrap it up for Savage Fincast Episode 4. And we will see you next time. Adios. Adios.